This episode of the AFTN Soccer Show is brought to you by Recovery Family Law. Recovery Family Law is here to help you solve your family law problems. If you are going through a separation or divorce, they can provide you the confidence to make good decisions and support to enforce your rights. If you have a question about property, children or support, they have the answers. It's not too late or too early to get help. Email info at recoveryfamilylaw.ca or visit recoveryfamilylaw.ca and let their team get you excellent results. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. There's still time. The AFTN Soccer Show. Broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. And would it surprise you to know, we've got another packed show for you this week. This is going to be a long one. This has been quite the week, Zach, in footballing terms, off-the-pitch terms, on-the-pitch terms, oh, just other things as well. It's It's been a wild week. Weather-wise as well, the snow's gone, but now we've been hit with atmospheric rivers. But don't worry, we're not going to talk 10 minutes on weather and then 15 minutes on hot chocolate. Probably just 12 minutes on hot chocolate. We're actually going to get to the football chat earlier this week. We're going to start off with our intro talking about football. It's been a big week for football news, good and bad, locally, nationally, internationally. In fact, it's been so busy that not only is this probably going to be a three-hour podcast, I'm going to bring out two extra podcasts probably this week as well to cover all the other stuff that we're not able to talk about in the show. Most of which will be the international stuff, and then a little bit more on, like, Ryan Gold and Axel Schuster's comments and stuff like that. Because we'll, we'll talk about the re-signing of, of Ryan Gold in this show, and we'll all the, have all the other Whitecaps news of the week. Two featured interviews with you again this week, both from a Vancouver FC perspective. New signing, Paris G. We'll be chatting to him. We'll also chat with TJ Tahid, who's had a very eventful 10 months as well. So both of those on the show. Those are fun. Yeah, really good chats. Enjoyed both of them. Hope you will too. And then the big news that came out on on Thursday as well, that CSB and MediaPro are going to to court. We'll be talking about that 
in part four and we're going to be joined by special guest Darnell Smith as well for all of that. I've obviously been glued to the to the FA Cup. I'll, I'll talk about a couple of the big stories. Non-league, Maidstone United, sixth Continue. tier, shocked Martin Pertz, Ipswich Town. Yeah. Is he the main manager? No, no, he's assistant. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. Uh, he's shaved tracker... his head now as well. He looks really strange. Maidstone scored from their two shots on target <laughs> to win 2-1. They took the lead. They were pegged back. And you thought Ipswich, who are pushing for promotion to the Premier League, were going to go on and get the job done. But then Maidstone came back, got the winning goal. Two absolutely fantastic goals as well. If you haven't seen the highlights, check out the first one in particular. The crossfield pass, the initial control and the lob over the keeper. It's absolutely amazing. But these are the kind of things that, as a fan of lower league football, my club is Fife, our history has been as a cup side. And we've had so many fantastic cup shocks over the years. And just going back to last year with TSS Rovers knocking Valor out. These are the games that you just live for as a fan of a lower league team. And it's cup football is so good. It's why I hate the big teams disrespecting it. Ipswich rested players for this game and they were hoisted by their own petard. Man United rested players big time as well against Newport County today and Man United went two up very early. Newport pegged them back to two all before Man United eventually squeaked through 3-2 and Newport had chances to tie it up as well. So it's like if you disrespect the cup competition, the cup gods will punish you. That is always my hope. It doesn't always happen, of course, but yeah, good luck to Maidstone in the next round. I guess maybe the only bad thing for them is they've been drawn away. They wanted a Premier team. They got Sheffield Wednesday or Coventry, which yeah, is a winnable game. So they yeah. could technically even go further in the competition. But the money that they make from these games and the TV coverage, this is a club that went bankrupt years ago. This is yeah. going to keep them afloat for like five to ten years, this cup run yeah. alone. So, I mean, it's fantastic to see. The other FA Cup game I want to talk about, as long-time listeners will know, March is Football Violence Awareness Month. <laughs> it, it would appear that the West Brom and Wolves fans didn't get the message. I don't know if you have if you heard what happened today, Zach, in the Black no. Country Derby. No. Well, Wolves won 2-0. Oh, that's nice And... There had been a, a heightened security for this game because these are two teams that hate each other, genuinely hate each other. Some of the stuff online in the build-up to this was really bad. So what seems to have happened is in the 79th minute or 77th minute, Wolves scored the second goal, went 2-0 up. Tickets for this game were at a premium. A Wolves fan stood up in the West Brom end celebrating the goal then goaded the West Brom fans. Numpty. And all hell broke loose as folk just tried to batter the shit out of him. Yeah. Uh, the fans then spilled onto the pitch. There were, well, there'd been bottles getting thrown throughout the game. There was some blue smoke thrown. A ball boy was hurt and taken to hospital. Some of the West Brom players had to go into that stand and remove their kids that were in the stand. Oh, no. You're, you're seeing them walking their kids along the side of the pitch in their strip. That's awful. The Wolves fan, the, the stewards pounced on him and were trying to escort him out and the West Brom fans wouldn't let them. They just wanted to batter him. So they blocked the way and were trying to get to him and the police were involved. Battens were getting 
throat folk were bloodied um, they eventually got him out and yeah interesting match brutal mm. but yeah Thursday Thursday was a very very weird day yeah in the morning we had the the good news of Ryan Gold contract extension we'll talk about that very soon afternoon the CSB Media Pro deal broke which we'll talk about in part 4 then sandwiched in between all that I got a phone call that my dad had passed away so it it was good in a, a lot of sense that I had all this football stuff that kind of distracted me kept my mind off everything as well but it was just it was such a weird day of emotions highs lows like what the fuck's going on just in general and stuff and yeah. means I'll be going home back to the UK for a, a little bit as well to to sort things out but I want to dedicate this episode of the the podcast to my dad he was a big football fan a Rangers fan for his sins <laughs> never rubbed off on me he was appalled I hated him and supported East Fife but it's like he was always proud of everything that I'd done with AFTN and what I've got to do over here we used to chat a lot about it yeah I'm so sorry for his massive loss in your life he'd appreciate dedicating the show to him and he'd also appreciate the next section because it's time for Hot Chocolate Boy. Hot Chocolate Boy He's never had one Hot Chocolate Bad One Hot Chocolate Boy Yes, another week, another Hot Chocolate Boy section. How many hot chocolates is too many hot chocolates? Find out this month on the AFTN Soccer Show. We went to two in this week's episode. So the two that myself and Caitlin went to, on Wednesday, we headed along to Cafe Artigiano, a very well-known local brand of coffee shops, of course, and cafes, owned by one Dean Shillington, owner of Vancouver FC and Pacific FC. So since we've got two Vancouver FC Interviews coming up, we thought, why don't we just make it a Vancouver FC day? So we headed along to Cafe Artigiano on Wednesday. There's 15 locations throughout the lower mainland and even one up in Whistler. So wherever you are, you're going to be able to get along to this one. We went to the one in Burnaby Heights and fantastic service. Got to give a big shout out to the guy serving behind the counter and also the barista as well. It was very busy. And they got everything done, big smiles on their faces. They are offering two hot chocolates for the festival this year. Number 11 in the grand scheme of things is the Smorelicious Hot Chocolate. Both of these are available all festival long, incidentally. The Smorelicious one is an exquisite blend of rich chocolate, signature rosemary vanilla syrup, served with torch marshmallow whip, rosemary sprig and a bite-sized s'more cookie. That wasn't the one that we went for. I can kind of really take or leave rosemary as a flavour, I've got to say. So we went for number 12 in the menu, the chocolate caliente. A blend of decadent dark chocolate syrup and spices, torched marshmallow whipped rim and fresh whipped cream dusted with cinnamon, a drizzle of salted caramel and served with a cinnamon sugared churro and I've got to say it was absolutely delicious one of my favourites so far 
I would still have Broyer Bakery, I think, as the number one overall. We gave that one a review in the last episode of the show. For me, the hot chocolate here at Cafe Artigiano is the best hot chocolate that I've had so far. I do love a spiced hot chocolate. Last year's winner for us was the one that Shea Christoph did. This was a beautifully spiced one. Caitlin also agreed. The the cinnamon sugar churro was nice. It was delicious, nice and chewy, very cinnamony, not too greasy. I just preferred the all-round Broyer Bakery because their, their coffee cake that we had was just some of the best coffee cake I've ever, ever had. So that's what just pips that to the number one. But Cafe Artigiano's Chocolate Caliente is right there at number two. And the second visit we had this week, on Sunday, we went to Honolulu Coffee. Now, they have three locations throughout the city. We went to the one in False Creek because Caitlin had just run the 10K Chili Chase. And we thought, what better way to celebrate being healthy and doing exercise? Go for a hot chocolate. Now, they have two selections available all festival long. Number 93 is the Cali Coco, a fun hot chocolate with ink inspiration. The base is a heavenly blend of 28% white chocolate and perfectly steamed milk, a glass of jet black enchantment by the side, a concoction of activated charcoal powder, sesame paste and the fragrant touch of Earl Grey, with the provided brush pen, a canvas really, for yours to paint what you want. And it includes a delicate fortune cookie as well. Not for me. Charcoal? Nah. Not my kind of thing. So we went for number 92 in the menu. The Snow Cocoa. The finest blend of 70% dark chocolate with steamed oat milk, creating a creamy canvas for artistry. A drizzle of macadamia nut and coconut syrup as an exotic twist, while the two marshmallow snowmen create a winter wonderland in your cup. Every sip is a sweet escape to a snowy, cocoa-filled dream, and it's served with two snowmen made with marshmallows and pretzels. And I've got to say, well, first of all, everything is dairy-free and vegan. The marshmallows don't contain gelatin. You wouldn't notice. Now, the pretzels in the marshmallows gave it a nice little bit of salt, which I thought worked really well with the dark chocolate. I am a big fan of dark chocolate, hot chocolate. I think I do prefer that to milk now. And the cup as well, around it, it had some kind of crispy kind of, not pop things, but just crispy little rice balls that was delicious to to have the drink with it. So really enjoyed it. It was a little bit sickly in that it was maybe a bit of a sugar overload. We went there to Honolulu Coffee last year and they had a nice raspberry one and we, we kind of preferred that one. This one was nice. I, I would still recommend it. And the snowmen look cute and just the way it's presented is wonderful. But it is a bit of a sugar overload. I'd only had four hours sleep because I've been having some shit sleeps this week. So I came home and just crashed out for nearly two hours. It was just too much sugar. But yeah, head along there if you want. The snow cocoa at Honolulu Coffee. So it's been great seeing all of you heading out and sharing your selections with us on Twitter. Keep them coming, AFT in Canada on Twitter. We love to see where you've been going. That is it for this episode's Hot Chocolate Boy. 
We'll be back with another one soon. Every girl yelling, wanting him to be the terror. Hot chocolate boy, he's a sensation. Hot chocolate nation, hot chocolate boy. Yes, the sugar keeps on coming. Hot chocolate boy there. Let's get back to the football chat now and for the rest of this part we're going to talk about the Whitecaps news of the week. Ryan Gold has resigned. Oh sorry, Ryan Gold has re-signed. Oh, That's a I, gag I that, that never gets old. I know. <laughs> yeah, a three-year contract extension to keep the Scottish Messi in Vancouver till the end of the 2027 season. He's a club leader with 60 goal contributions. 26 goals and 34 assists during the MLS era, across 94 appearances in all competitions. Good to get this done before the the season starts, Zach. It stops all these questions. I think there was like six or eight questions to Ryan on the the one-day media that they had here about his contract. Is he happy here? Does he want to stay? He said he just wants to focus on the football. Um, So it's good to get this done. It's good to lock up a key person. And if someone comes in for him, the Whitecaps get some money for a transfer fee down the line as well, if he is tempted away. But for the stability of this team and building this team's future, great to see him here for three more years. Yeah, uh, it was uh, nice to be on the the call there and listen to to him talk about it and what it means to him and uh, how he's happy that it's it's done, and also talk. Listen, Axel talk about it. You know how, you know Ryan was actually very little involved. He let his agent worry about yeah. it, so that he could be focused on football and focused on getting ready for the season. And uh, yeah, which I like. Which Richie Larea told us similar with all his stuff that's right. going on, yeah. which of course is, is still going on. Still going on, yeah. Which interestingly, you know, that transfer window closes this week, so we'll see. Yeah, what, what could happened. happen there. It is a, a huge relief for for Whitecaps fans that this is done because there, you you every time there was one of these oh he's linked here or linked there or he said something that was uh, was uh, was not convincing for people or whatever it was like there was like you know people like oh uh, what's happening or and a little bit of worry a little bit of a little bit of concern and I think folks still have PTSD adjusted. from the Camilo thing. I mean, it, it's just great for the future stability and you can build totally. build the team around him and players that complement him and, and stuff as well. One question for you about it. Do you think it's too long, the, the extension? It's three years after. He's got one more to go and it's a three-year extension. Yeah, I yeah. so it takes him up for till 27 because he's, he's on his current, last year of his current deal now. I, yeah. I think it's a good deal all round. Uh, I mean, obviously, if he starts not performing, it's then doesn't seem as a good deal because he's going to have a big salary because his 2023 salary was just over 2.5 million. So this year, that's going to have gone up, which we won't know what it is yet. Axel wouldn't confirm it either. So you would have to imagine you're talking about in the three millions for his 2025 salary. The one thing that was going through my head as I was sitting there listening to the interviews that we're going to hear in a moment was... Uh, you've always said, you know, you're one injury away from losing your your most expensive player, right? And with him, it's like the 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 bigger concern is not the you know whatever football injury. For me, the bigger concern is 
is that he's had what at least two blows to the head that have made him yeah. miss games. Yeah. Stuff right, but but that's I mean that's the rest, uh, I'm not well, every single player like M- yeah, Messi exactly. could get injured in the first game of the season and has a season-ending injury, and then all of a sudden, fifty-five thousand plus people in Vancouver and elsewhere are going to be flooding the market with resale tickets. Yeah, but I mean that that that's football. That's just that, that's just the the nature of it. But I mean, he he deserves a salary, and the grand scheme of things, with salaries elsewhere in the world, it's a it's a good salary. It's good for Vancouver. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, they, they, would, they would get salary relief as well if it was a season-ending injury. So there's yeah. that aspect as well. Obviously, I hope. He, I'm not saying I, I hope he gets injured. Oh no, I of just, course not. As I, was, as I was listening to that, I was just like, oh yeah, yeah. This is a, a significant investment again, and oh yeah, what happens if he if he were to go down or he were to take a knock to the head, like. But well, yeah, he's going to be the most expensive player in Whitecaps history. And well, he, he already was. From, well, yeah, he's going to continue <laughs> that. He's even more expensive now. So let's hear from the man himself, Ryan Gold and sporting director Axel Schuster. Hey, Ryan. Uh, congratulations on the, the new contract. I was a bit worried when you've been over in Spain that the hot weather would want to, to keep you there, but you, you've spoke passionately about how much you feel that Vancouver's the home for you and Kat. What is it about Vancouver that has made you feel that this is the place you now want to be till at least 2027? Probably the how um, welcome we've been made to feel at the club and in the city uh, since day one. Um you know, we've been made to feel at home ever since arriving. And we've both had a great couple of years there. And both really enjoyed um like I said, living there and and I think we've had some success on the pitch as well to go with it. So um we felt like there's a lot more that we can achieve in Vancouver and um yeah, just to be part of a place that we're made to feel so welcome and to feel at home, um, it was kind of a no-brainer to to sign on again. You touched on it there as well about the fact that you're just glad to get this done before the season gets underway. Knowing that this has kind of been coming up for renewal, when did talks first start and is it just a relief to now be able to just concentrate on the playing side this year? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, a wee while ago that, you know, we were made aware that, um, you know, we wanted something to to get done. And then just over the kind of Christmas period, just before Christmas, things, we, you know, sat down and um, really spoke about it for the first time. And, you know, once the the talk started, it it didn't take very long to to come to an agreement. And... um, yeah, just looking forward to the next four years. Getting this deal done with Ryan, like how important was it for you to get this done before the season started just so that he can just concentrate on the playing side and not all the other stuff that goes with it? Uh, I, I don't think that he was really distracted by it because the conversations, um, we, we did the conversations with his agent and I spoke with him after we really got to the um to the moment of signing and then he said to me i asked him how it was for him and he said he did this time he completely stayed out of it so he he wasn't very involved he said he got one update during the 
during his vacations in Scotland. So not more than that. But in general, of course, <laughs> it was important to get it done before the deal comes to an end. Uh, but uh, um, it was always our intention to get it done before the season starts, uh, to get it now done uh, right away, two weeks in. While we're here still in Mabea, it's it's only a, an additional plus um, because uh, it sends also out a message to the team. I think this is uh, actually maybe even more important to send out a message to, to our players, to the people in Vancouver, um, that we are building here something and that we try to keep uh, all our core pieces together and add some other uh, additional quality players and uh, having this message out that the most important player and best player of last season stays for, for longer is also a message for, for every other player that is in a similar situation or players that are thinking about joining our club. Talking about such things, then you've added a couple of key attacking pieces this off season. First games now, less than two weeks away. Are you expecting any more additions to the squad in the next couple of weeks before that Tigris game? Look, I, I would say yes. We expect uh, to have uh, other additions if they will be the guys that will immediately be ready to start against Tigris with such a short runway now. Um, I, I really cannot say that because then the guys have to come here, they have to join the group, they have to transition into our group and, and settle in and then also have to have the right shape. Um, I would say that uh, um, we anyway have to live with the situation that we had a very short runway for this game, um, that we are in the middle of uh, a preseason for our uh, 50th MLS season that for us is the most important thing this year. And um, we have to deal with that. We will not be in the same shape like our opponent who is in the middle of the season. Um, but there are no excuses. We prepare in the best way. If somebody who joins us in within the next days, next week is ready to play and looks better than the players that we have here and, and we think he can help us, he will play. If not, I can tell everyone that those additions that we are doing now and we will do within the next weeks are all um, coming to help us to play the best MLS season in our history. So just a little bit there from Ryan and Axel. Might put the, the full stuff up in an extra interview as well if folk are interested in hearing that with a few more thoughts on the whole deal but I mean one thing that we can certainly see is that the Whitecaps they're building a good team Axel said at the end there that there'll be there'll be more folk coming maybe not in time for the Tigris game but there will be people coming that will make a difference that will improve this team to help this team have no bones about it as far as Axel is concerned we're going to have the best MLS season in our history which is bold to say that but with the squad that he's building, it's hard not to feel that way. And obviously there is some additions. We spoke a little bit there about Richie Larea. Could he come back? If not, do you feel that is one of the profiles that they're going to be looking for? And Probably. the other one, of well, course, is a, an experienced centre-back. Well, especially is the, the question I would have asked Axel if there, was, if there was more time for it was, is there going to be any more departure? Like someone asked, I think it was Har or someone else mm. asked him about the yeah, how many more people are coming in. But it's like, are there are there any other departures happening, right? Because there's been like, 
uh, maybe this has been uh, debunked or whatever, but there was that um, speculating about Ryan Raposo getting a deal in China. Yeah, I mean, the, the White and, Caps have said no one from China has contacted them about it. Right, right. And that's not to say discussions haven't been hard, maybe between agents and Chinese clubs or whatever, but from the White Caps' point of view, it's not a deal that's happening. I mean, right. it, it seems odd. But is it, I mean, it's it is odd, but it's the kind of thing you, you, if you're Ryan Raposo and you. What, what an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, especially if he was going to make significantly more money than he could in MLS. Yeah. And you have to feel he's maybe dropped down maybe the depth chart a little bit as well, where the likes of Fafo Pico coming in, which I know it's not exactly the same player because Ryan has developed a good defensive side as well. Yeah. But if we're looking to bring in Richie Larea, we've already got Sam Adekugbe and. Other young guys coming through the academy and stuff as well. I mean, defensively, they need, they need to be strong. And they are linked with a 27-year-old Norwegian defender. Yeah. Not not a player I'm familiar with at all. Bjorn Inga Utvik. He's been capped uh, by Norway up to under-21 level. His whole career from 2012 has been played in Norway. He's had three clubs, Hogesund, Songdal, and Sarpsborg 08. So that, that's, he's been with Sarpsborg since 2018. Overall, he's had 207 appearances across all competitions. He scored 10 goals. I don't know much about him. Um, Felipe on Twitter had done a little bit of looking. He scored off four four goals off corners in 2023 from an XG of 2.12. Despite, Felipe says, despite being just over six feet, I think that's tall. <laughs> As someone that's 5'8", that's tall. But he has good, he has good defensive stats and that's an interesting one. It's experienced and he's, he's officially left Sarpsburg now. Stian Wall, um, a Norwegian journalist on Twitter, is the one that broke the story. Apparently, the Whitecaps have submitted an offer to the free agent. He's mulling it over, and he's expected to make a decision soon. Yeah, could be interesting. Hmm. So keep an eye on that. But that is certainly something that adds to the centre-back depth, which we need. Yes. And, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see where that goes. Other player news this week, Ali Ahmed underwent a successful procedure to repair a sports hernia on Friday. Ahmed is expected to return to training in about 46 weeks. He said he'll be back in no time. Obviously, wish Ali all the very best for a, a quick, speedy and successful recovery. Yeah, unfortunately, he has to miss this early part of the season so that uh, he's ready to, to go once the league kicks off. Um, yeah. Because you know he is a valuable member of this squad, and they are probably counting on him to take another step. Yeah, to, and I think know? so many of us are expecting that as well. But yeah. as as we spoke about in the last show, when it, it got broken, Vanny mentioned this is what Ranko had. He had this surgery, and then he's basically been an Ironman since and hasn't missed stuff. So it's really helped him. Obviously, everyone is different and your recovery and whether it works and stuff. But yeah. The Whitecaps played their third of their four preseason games in Marbella on Saturday, and Brian White scored his first goal of the preseason in his first match of the preseason after joining up with the Whitecaps 
fresh from making his debut with the US national team. So the Caps led 1-0 after White scored in the 67th minute. Uh, Luis Martin's free kick came in, came to White, he tucked it away. Now, there had been eight changes by the White Caps in the 62nd minute, and they gave up two late goals, yeah. one in the 83rd, one in the 89th minute, to Serbian Superliga club FK TSC, going down to a 2-1 defeat in the end to the Serbians. There had been eight changes at the 62nd minute, three at half time, so it was a whole fresh team yeah. for big chunks of the second half. It was a, a less experienced team, a, a weaker team, more the, the depth guys. But it is the second game in a row that they've given up two games in the last 10 minutes to, to lose the match. Yeah. Now, on the one hand, it's not your starters. It, it's young guys, and maybe they're pushing forward too much. They're, they're not your strongest players. But there's still a little alarm bell in the back of my head that I'm like, that's something you don't want to make a habit of. You need to get that tightened up. Yeah. <laughs> It's preseason, so let's not. Well, yeah, that let's, was let's, hope, let's hope it, 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 it doesn't continue to be a trend. Um, but yeah, not Joe, ideal. Joe Bendick played the last half hour or so of this one. He gave up the two goals. Yohei Takaoka hasn't let a goal in yet in preseason. But Bendick is pointing that they are gonna gonna sign him. Then it's going to be interesting to see what happens with with Isaac Bomer. But this was an interesting game as well because Vanny Sartini deployed the team in a 3-3-1-3 lineup. So basically a three-diamond three. Yeah. Ryan Gold, Demir Krylach and Fafa Pico were the three up front with White obviously coming on at halftime. That's an interesting one. I'm not sure it's one that he'll go with for the whole season. I mean, right now, it's going to be interesting chatting to Vanny because I'm sure he's got so many things going around his brain just now as to what is the best formation. And right now, he might not even be able to nail it down because it's going to depend who else comes in. You might be bringing players in that's going to play a much better formation than another formation, and that's what you want to go with. Then you'll have your secondary, maybe even third string formation as well, depending on personnel that you're playing, opposition. So, yeah, a lot for him to kind of weigh up there. And I found this interesting. Maybe I'm just reading too much on it, but maybe a sign of things to come. Ranko wore the captain's armband for this one. Hmm. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan Gall's like, you know what, I'd rather just concentrate on what I do in the pitch. I'd let there be a leader in the back. Because I do like a defender or a goalkeeper to to be a to be the captain. Ideally, for me, a centre back. Well, yeah, I remember it wasn't Ranko like the captain of like the Serbia U twenty team or yeah. whatever. I, th- like, I think Ranko's a great choice, and like I say, I do like a central defender to be that guy. Now, there's one preseason game left in Spain. Ironically enough, against Norwegian side AFK Hogesund, who are mm. new Bjorn centre back. Have to get a Bjorn again joke in somewhere there. Uh, started off his career with, so that could be interesting. That game goes on Tuesday. And then just the final Whitecaps thing to chat about. Did you see the leaked Whitecaps 50th anniversary jersey? I think the Whitecaps have basically said, yeah, this is the jersey. I mean, it must piss the club off that you have oh, a special yeah. 50th anniversary jersey and you don't even get to launch it. 
and it just gets broken on a little card on EA all the, FC. All the, well, the other thing is, it, all the things, all the images I've seen, it's all grainy and not. Well, yeah, it's not a clear thing either, which yeah. it's hard to tell. We we had a little chat before we recorded uh, about it as well. It's hard to tell exactly what it's like. We haven't seen the back of it either. Yeah, I like black kit. I've always said I like that, and of course, East Fife are black and gold. Is that is it is it is it black? It looked like almost dark dark navy blue to me, but I'm colorblind, so. It didn't look black, black, right enough from the greeny picture. I took it to be black and gold. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it's navy blue. It's it's got a golden motif crest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the crest is very different. It's yeah, well, the, it, it, that, that's old. the nineteen seventy four yeah. original yeah, yeah. crest, and in in part three we'll talk about how that wasn't actually the original design that came out for the nineteen seventy four team either. It, it was red. It was a red maple leaf in a red and white soccer ball and this is a gold maple leaf and a gold and black blue whatever color it is soccer ball for the golden 50th anniversary i don't mind it apparently it's also got the canadian flag and the white caps current logo on the the back of the neck oh okay it's hard to comment without seeing the high res uh, ideally photos slash renders of it right so i think it'd be great i think what Tell you what would be a lovely touch is if the Whitecaps gave us a free jersey. That would, be, that would be nice for you, Michael. If they can dig out one of those Arbutus brown ones that I've been trying to get as well. Size medium, thank you very much. <laughs> Cheer me up after my bad week. You, you think you think they have a vault somewhere? Oh, bound to. Yeah. It's going to be like Gringotts <laughs> down, at, down at Water Street. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Looking forward to seeing it in person. I feel generally bad for 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 the the people who put the launch together for that or whatever and got ruined by that because I know how I know how frustrating that is when oh yeah those things get leaked and so well, I feel it's hard to keep secrets people. just in general anymore. It feels in the yeah. world of football. But yeah, it should be a good year. Looking forward to it. that. Is it for the White Caps chat? We're going to turn our attention to Vancouver FC and bring you the first of our two featured interviews in the next part, as well as the last song from our album of the month for January. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Gold, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. An airway crawled into my ear, made a meal of the waxen hairs. Phone friends had an insect party But all I could hear was the bass drum drum All I could hear was the bass drum drum Now if you put your ear close You'll be able to hear Not the seashore noise of a shore seashell The clatter of plates and the bronze up about Going ding dong, ding dong, ding dong Not 
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our last selection from our album of the month here at AFTN for the month of January. English band James, their debut album, Stutter, released in 1986. 11 tracks on the album, and that is the first of them. It's a song about insects eating away at your brain and your subsequent descent into madness. Keeping it light as always here on the AFTN Soccer Show. (laughs) Big band James from the Manchester scene. That album, very much unknown. A lot of folk know their later stuff, especially their Goldmother album. They'll know their, their famous song, Sit Down and a lot of others as well. We've even played the band on Wavelength in the past as well. But Stutter is one of my all-time favourite albums. I hope you've enjoyed the four songs that we have played for it from it this month. If you have, go and check it out in all the usual places. And we will be back next week with a new album of the month. But we're going to get back to the football chat now and we are turning our attention to the Canadian Premier League, to Vancouver FC. And it's been another busy week for the Eagles as they announced another new signing. They're releasing these at one a week. As they release them, we sit down and have a, a good chat with them. So this is the first of two featured interviews on the podcast this week. And it's with a player that played with a number of local clubs, had a stint with the Whitecaps Academy, went to SFU where he had a red shirt freshman year in 2012 before going overseas. He's played as a pro in Croatia, the US and back here in Canada. He's had spells in the CPL with FC Edmonton, York United And this upcoming season is going to be his 11th season as a pro. He's going to be wearing the colours of Vancouver FC. Having a lot of fans coming out locally to cheer him on as well. When he played here last year with York, with a number of returning players to the lower mainland, got a lot of good fans out, adding to Vancouver FC's addition of local talent, which is great to see. We want to see this as a team full of guys from the lower mainland. Paris G is another one of those guys. We had a really good chat with Paris this week, just to chat about his career so far, talk about the very personal reasons that made him want to come back and play for Vancouver FC, and to look ahead to what could be in store for the team and him in 2024. So go stick the kettle on, Grab your biscuit of choice, sit back and enjoy our chat with Vancouver FC's latest edition, Paris G. So Paris, welcome to the show. I I know it must be quite quite an emotional time for you signing for your hometown club after not being able to sign for a a team here in in your 10 pro years so far. Yeah. Yeah. It feels, it feels really good. Um, So happy to be here. Yeah. I mean, it's your 11th year coming up as a pro and 
like when you left, obviously the CPL wasn't on the horizon. Did did you imagine that this opportunity would would even come? I honestly back then I didn't know. I just wanted to try and go play somewhere professionally, and then just you know you know brick by brick that path of your career just gets laid. And um, yeah, once the CPL started, I was like, okay, I think I was playing in the states at the time. Um, they wanted me to come back, and I was like, mm, first season of the league, like let me see how it goes. Um, I stayed in the U.S. that year and then eventually, you know, made my way to Edmonton. And I'm honestly super thankful that the league came here because, you know, you get to play in Canada. You get to play in your home, your home country. Yeah. This this move then, because you've been at York for a couple of seasons now. I I know we'll we'll talk about your your dad as well in a sec. But how, how did all this come about? When did... When did you know that you wanted to come back to BC? When did you know it was going to be possible? I, I saw that you, you thanked York as well for making all this possible. So how did all yeah. this start to come about and how, how was the deal done? Well, last year when the team started, I guess 20, 2022, um, the team kind of announced they were going to be here. And, you know, it's, you know, as soon as the team comes up in your hometown, you're like, oh, how am I, how am I going to get there? Right. Um, but I was, I was already signed with, with the York and, you know, they had my option for, you know, 2024 as well. So I was like, okay, maybe after my, you know, my time in New York is finished, like I'll try and, you know, make a move back, back here to Vancouver. Um, once halfway through the season, uh, last, well, this past season, um, there was a little bit more interest from them, um, to bring me back home. And then throughout the year, uh, you know, my dad's health wasn't doing so good. So, you know, I was talking to Nash, you know, I was talking to, People in Vancouver, I was talking to my agent, like, look, like maybe the best thing for me right now in my career and the next step is to get to Vancouver and uh, closer into the season, um, especially when new management wasn't going to be there for for York and we didn't know who was taking over. Yeah. Um, lots of us were thinking, like, mm, maybe we should start looking somewhere else because is this going to be the same type of thing as Edmonton? Like, our salary is going to be put to minimum and uh, are we all going to be stuck here? Um, but, you know, everything worked out. And, and like I said, it's just another brick on the path of my career. And, uh, you know, I came home at the right time. And getting a two-year deal as well gives you a bit of stability as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Now, if, if we talk about your your dad now, if you don't mind, I'd rather talk about it at the start so that cause yeah. folk, have, folk have short attention spans. Sometimes yeah. they don't make it to the end of interviews. So I think this is yeah. a, an important thing to, to really get out. I mean, I, I remember reading your post midway through last year about your dad looking for the kidney donor. And mm-hmm. until this came out, I hadn't really thought about it because I thought, oh, he's probably would have found one by now. But obviously, yeah, yeah. you've mentioned there's been some people come forward, but there hasn't been matches. C- can yeah. you talk a little bit about the process and just exactly what, what your dad's kind of needing and how, if anyone is listening that can help, how, how they can help? Yeah, so right now he started. He finally started dialysis. Um, his GFR dropped. I don't know from an eighteen from the beginning of the year. Now all the way down to like a six or seven. So over Christmas and New Year's, we were all, you know, really nervous. Really, like, oh, shouldn't you? You need to be on dialysis now. You know, once you drop below a ten, you're basically in, I think, acute kidney failure, and you're you're at risk of, of like a heart attack and things like that. So he's finally on dialysis. Um, and there's a program. I think it's been put online uh, of like how, who to contact. You can be completely anonymous. You just call a number, you email in. Um, but there is a process to um, to be a donor and to be a match. Like you need to have, you, know, you need to be in good health. 
Um, and you know, it takes, it takes time to get processed. Um, we've had, we've had a handful of people come forward. Um, but it's, it's tough to get a match. Like the doctors were saying to him, there's been people who have came forward for other, other, um, people in need of a kidney and there could be like 50 or 60 people come forward and try and, um, donate, but maybe one or two are like actually able to donate. Wow. But are they a match? Like you don't know if you're their match either. So we've had one one person come and and they weren't a match, but they were able to donate. So then, if you were able to donate, you're put on a program where you kind of like it's like a kidney matching program. So you okay. kind of find another group of people who need a, a kidney that they're able to donate, but they're not a match for their you know said family member or friend or something like that. And then you basically swap kidneys. Right. Yeah. So it's basically like that. Um. But the wait time once you're on dialysis, if you're not really putting your name out there or trying to find a kidney yourself is about five years and five years on dialysis takes that toll on your body. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I was going to ask you about just the, the standard waiting list. I didn't think it'd be yeah. anything near as much. Yeah, as I, think, I think minimum is five years. Yeah. Wow. And so, I mean, this can be someone from any anywhere in Canada as well. Yeah, it could, it could be from anywhere. Like my dad has heard stories of people, you know, some guy went and got a hot dog. I think he, my dad goes to the trap range a lot, goes shooting. And he was talking to a guy there and he said, oh, one of my friends, actually, he was talking about it with some guy who was going to hot dog on a street. That was on the, the news. City. I saw that on the yeah. news. Yeah. And he said, oh, yeah, like, I'll give you my kidney. And he was like, what? Yeah. Because it, it can come randomly. Like, you don't know. Like, people, some people are just, you know, so selfless and they want to help out any way they can. And, you know, to have my dad's story and, you know, what we're going through out in the world and in Vancouver, you know, you never know who's going to come up and. Oh, we'll we'll certainly make mention as well of the the numbers on the show as well. We'll tell people where mm -hmm. they where they can get in touch and stuff. I mean, yeah, your family you. must just be so happy to have you back as well at this time as well, both from a yeah. plane side and also from a family side. Yeah, yeah, they're real, they're really happy. You know, they usually wherever I was playing, they come out, fly out maybe once a year, come see a few home games. When I was in Tulsa, even when I was in Croatia, they flew out and came for like two weeks and you know watched a few games. But now that I'm in Vancouver. It's like, you know, I was playing when I was a kid. I get to come, you know, I got a game in Langley. They're like, okay, we'll be there. Right. <laughs> and is the, does, did the big head survive? Is it going to be? Oh, yeah, it'll, it'll survive. Yeah, my buddy did a good job with it. I think he made that back in 2017. And it's in like our living room behind our stereo. So every time I come home, there's this big, big eyes just staring at me. I'm like, oh, God. I'll, I'll take you back then to 2017 because... Last year when you played with York, it wasn't the first time you played as a pro here in BC. September 6th, 2017. Yeah. I had in my head, I knew I'd seen you play here mm. because I was commentating on the match. Yeah. So me and Corey Basso were the commentators on YouTube for that WFC2 game. Yeah. The head was at that game, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the first time it showed up. Yeah, my buddy made it specifically for that game. So it's been it's been around the whole time, yes. I'm going to have to look through our photographer's photos because I'm pretty sure we're going to have some photos of it from way back. Oh, yeah, then. yeah. I have. I think a whole bunch of family came out for that game too and, you know, has a big head there. So if you need that photo too, I can send that over to you. Because <laughs> I, I went on YouTube last night and I was like, I'm pretty sure I commentated on that one. And then I, I was talking about you at the start of the match, about, yeah. oh, he's come back to BC and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's nice to now see see you back here, and we'll talk a little bit about your your journey. But just to mm -hmm. still focus on Vancouver just now, you obviously are going to bring defensive flexibility to to Vancouver FC for this year because yeah. 
you you played across the whole back line for for York last year, yeah. eight times in each of the the defensive positions. Once as a DM as well. Yeah. How did you find that? How easy is it for your? How what challenges are there for you from going in to all those different positions? Honestly, the most challenging thing for me was like my body. You know, when you're as a center back, you're just moving differently. You know, it's more side to side motion. I'm like, why are my quads cramping in the 70th minute right now? And then um, as a defensive mid, you know, you're definitely putting in more kilometers as, you know, sometimes as a, as an outside back, you know, as an outside back, you know, you sprint up the field, you get back, you're kind of sliding if the ball's in the other side, you know, you take a little rest, but as a defensive mid, you're, you know, you're constantly moving, constantly scanning. Um, but, you know, with the experiences I've had um, playing already, sliding into those positions was, you know, it was, it was fine for me. So, like center back this year was a little bit more uncomfortable because I was like, not six six. I'm not six four. You know, I'm not two hundred pounds. Um, but I think defensively one v one in my positioning um, really helped me out there. In an ideal scenario, Paris, if you're if you're the coach, so I'm not asking yeah. you to speak for action, but if you're the coach, yeah. what formation are you playing in? Where are you playing yourself? Um, I think traditionally I like to play in a four two three one. Um, I like having uh, two defensive mids, and for position, I'd rather play as a, as a right back, just because I can get up the field and you know I'm on my natural foot whipping it in crosses. But over the years, um, you know I've had to be adaptable and um, slide into different positions: left back, defensive mid. Um, when I was in Tulsa, there was an injury there, and um, I was kind of the second right back or third right back on the team. Um, Kosuke Kamura, he was one of my best buddies, and I was basically his understudy. And uh, he told me, like, look, you, you're fit, you're, you have some quality, like, you need to play as a, as a defensive mid, and it could be there for the rest of the season. So I think I played there for the last four months this season and made it to playoffs, and yeah, it was great. It, it definitely um, pushed me uh, out of my comfort zone to, you know, be in a different position. And you, you just see the, you see the field differently as well everywhere you play. Yeah, for sure. One of the the big things that you're you're certainly going to do is you're bringing experience to what's a very young backline uh, at Vancouver yeah. FC and talk about the leadership role and how much you're you're looking forward to that because like with, with all you guys that's come back it was the same with, with like Ben and stuff it's like I, I was like oh he's twenty nine now because I've yeah. I've known about you in your career from like way back at SFU. Which, like, yeah. when I think about it, obviously you'd be about 29 now, but it's just always, I'm like, wow, he's 29 now. Just talk yeah. about what leadership you're hoping to bring to this team. Yeah, I think for me it's more, you know, lead by example, right? How you act in the change room, how you act towards your fellow teammates, your coaching staff, how you act professionally on the field. Um, you know, I want to try and instill that in the young guys who are coming up and knowing that, you know, the way you act and the way you, portray yourself around coaches, teammates, um, you know, it, it follows you throughout your career. Um, like I said before, there's guys I've known in the USL, guys in Croatia. If you don't have the mentality and, you know, you're not professional, word gets out and people know. If you want to start trying to sign somewhere else, they go, oh, well, he doesn't have the greatest attitude or he doesn't work hard. You know, that that hurts you in your career long term. So I'm hoping that, uh, yeah, my professionalism and experience will, you know, help guide these guys um you know through the career and through this year and i hope we have a great year yeah i mean the, the score is shaping up very very well it's very exciting it's nice to see this sprinkling a, a local talent and mm -hmm. we, we talked about it at the start like 
I, I, I remember you signing at SFU, and yeah. that was such a good team in 2012. Yeah. Uh, I know you didn't really feature as a as a fresh freshman, but you. I looked at the squad last night, and there was so much talent on that squad. But you're really the guy that's gone and forced a career out of that because mm-hmm. you bet on yourself and you you went overseas. I mean, that must have yeah. been a really tough decision at that young age to go and do that. Yeah, it was tough, um, especially like I, at SFU in 2012. I redshirted. I wanted to come in and play as a fullback, but when there's I don't know eight nine seniors on the team you're kind of you know forced to you know sit and watch and see how the rest of the you know season goes um but after that like soccer playing professionally was on my mind so much i was training in the mornings with another coach and you know doing things in the evening with with him as well and uh you know when the opportunity came and he said i actually met my coach johnny salentic in the spring of that year because we had to play for a men's team you know to stay fit and you know keep playing things like that um he basically brought up the opportunity to say like hey like do you want to go to Croatia and just go on trial and I was like well yeah of course like I don't know what opportunities are going to come here like we had what the NASL was around with FC Edmonton um but like what else, where else was I going to go yeah so for me to talk my parents into look I'm going to you know train I'm going to leave school I'm going to go to Croatia they were like mm, you sure <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us more about the the experience you had in Croatia? Because, uh, yeah, it's obviously uh, such a f- uh, rich footballing culture that has yeah. produced so many great players, um, and it, it just has obviously the cultural history and stuff there. Yeah. What was that? What, what was that experience like for you? And what have you? Uh, what stands? What's what's uh, stayed with you over the course of time from that experience? Um, it was amazing going over there um obviously like a big move i think it was like nine hour time difference away from my family uh the nice thing about it i went with one of my other buddies from sfu as well colin um and him and i both went on trial you know lived in a hostel for a couple weeks um went on trial and uh we both signed two-year contracts um it was supposed to be like a week trial but it ended up being two months because they couldn't get an exhibition game in because they just kept winning their cup games. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we have to keep paying for this also. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, it was amazing. Um, I developed so much there, the quality of training and just the attitudes of the guys there was unbelievable. I, like one thing that really sticks out to me is um, we were in, uh, I think we were doing like a, a shooting drill and we were on like, you know, nice grass, you know, in there, in our stadium. And, the guys would ping balls to the top of the box and they'd just be hitting right foot, left foot, you know, top corner, top corner. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, where are we? Like, are these, aren't these guys our age? And their technical ability was so good, but being there and being around those types of players with that technique, you just you just fed off it. So after a few weeks of being there training with them, you started seeing, okay, my technique's getting better. I'm hitting the top corner. I'm hitting the side netting like more consistently. So being there for two years definitely grew me as a player so much. What what about as as a, a person then as well? Because like when you're in your teenage years, you, mm-hmm. you grow up so much, even into your early twenties. The only place in Croatia I've been, I, I had a day trip to Dubrovnik, and I, yeah. I loved it. It was a it was beautiful city. It seems like a beautiful country. Yeah. With those fans as well, like even just have to go out to the VMSL games here for Croatia, yeah. and the fans are like absolutely nuts. Yeah. So, what was it like off the pitch? How did you grow as a person there? 
Uh, it was difficult, honestly, when I first got there, because you don't you don't know the language. Mm. Oh, it's um, a difficult language as well. Did, did so, you learn? It's so tough. Did it's you so learn tough. it? Uh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> like I took me and my buddy took lessons for like a month or two, and we kind of fell off. But you know, we tried with our teammates. I think it helped more because um, he stayed there for an additional two years, and I, I left. I think if I was there by myself, I'd probably learn the language a little more because every time we came back after training or trips, like him and I would just talk English to each other all the time. Yeah. Right? Um, but yeah, it was tough. It was honestly, I was homesick a lot. Every every six months, I'd I'd want to, you know, we'd have a break in the winter and break in the summer. Um, people like my friends even asked, like, "Oh, did you travel Europe and things like that?" I was like, I wasn't making that much money, and mm-hmm. anytime I had the opportunity to come home, I'd I'd come home. I want to be here for Christmas. And I want to be here in the summer and see my friends for a couple of weeks and then go back to doing what I, you know, I love to do. But it was tough. I was definitely homesick. I, I think, yeah, everyone thinks you're in Europe, you're making all the big money. It's like, mm-hmm. this is second tier Croatia. Although I had a look and I saw that they, they got promoted to mm-hmm. the, the top flight after you'd left. So yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what that says, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, it was Colin Jacks. Was that who was? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Still, that, still good buddies. He's getting married this year, actually. Oh, is he? I remember yeah. Colin, and last time I saw him was playing in VMSL as well, I think. But yeah. um, so you you came back to to North America. You signed with Tulsa in the USL. Mm-hmm. Was it the homesickness that kind of got you to come back, or did you just feel no nah, that this opportunity is back home? I'd, I'd rather be home now. Kind of, yeah. I wasn't really sure where my career was going to go. I could have stuck it out. Maybe I signed another year or two with uh, Rudesh in, in Croatia. But, you know, in deep down, my feeling was, okay, maybe we'll kind of get closer to home and just see what comes up. Um, but when I went home, I was like, where the heck am I? Where am I going to go? So I talked to one of my buddies, um, Daniel Fernandez. He used to be a goalkeeper all, all over the place in Europe. Um and he was training with a team. He was playing with a team called uh, Rio OKC in the NASL. So that year, I think it was 2016 in the summer, that's when I met um, Kosuke, who I went to Tulsa with as well. Um, but I went down and trained with them for like three months just in hopes that, okay, hopefully I keep training down here. I'll make connections. I'll sign somewhere, maybe with this team. And then at the end of the season, they were you know, telling me what was going on. Guys weren't getting paid. Um their owners were taking parts of the field off because they couldn't, you know, the team in Spain wasn't paying. <laughs> so uh, uh, I just kind of stuck it out. And Kosuke basically said, look, come to Tulsa in uh, the new year and just come train with us. And, you know, hopefully we can get you a contract. And then, you know, things just unfolded that way. So connections, connections mm. are big. Yeah, I'd forgotten all about that whole Spanish thing with OKC and how it all yeah. went really, really bad in the end. Yeah. I mean, you had a good time at Tulsa because you had your, looking at the stats, you had your career best season in 2018, three mm, goals, yeah. seven assists. What yeah. what clicked that year that everything just came together for you? I don't know. I just, I felt different. I felt like uh, maybe more free on the field. Um, I was starting more. My confidence was building. And then I slid into positions, like as an outside back, you know, I was getting assists, which was great. And then for my goals, I was playing as a winger. So I was, you know, getting that more of an attacking feeling. And I think my, I just had a lot of confidence, a lot of confidence that season. When I looked at Transfer Market, it has you listed that you played nine different positions at Chelsea. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sliding all over the place. Jeez. I, I, but then you went, you went to St. Louis for a, a couple of years as well. Yeah. How, how did that come about? St. Louis is such a storied city. 
mm-hmm. in American soccer history. What was yeah. it like to play there? And did you did you know from your time there like how crazy it was going to be when they did get that MLS team? Uh, yeah, I think I did because the fans we had in the USL were like unbelievable. They were always there. They filled the stadium. They were so loud in the corner every single game. Um, it was too bad because obviously like 2020 when I was there, COVID kind of shut things down. Um, but whenever they could be in the stands, it was it was nuts. It was, it was crazy. Like everybody was so like you could feel their souls being poured onto the match for you. Right. Yeah, they're so passionate there and what they've done in MLS and the stadium and everything. It's yeah. tremendous. And then I just want to ask, yeah, your experiences in the USL. I just want to uh, wonder if you speak about how they helped you grow as a person and as a and as a player. Uh, no, it, it was really good. The coaches I've had down there have definitely helped a lot. Um, in uh, in St. Louis, Anthony Poulos, he was he was very structured. Um, he demanded a lot from you and um, definitely pushed you out of your comfort zone. Um, and then another guy, he was more he was like a player assistant, Kosuke. Uh, he used to play in um, the MLS. I think he won MLS Cup with um, Colorado Rapids. And he was, I think, one of the biggest influences I've had. Like, I, I lived with him on his couch um, for, like, maybe three months total um, just because we didn't have, like, condos yet. So, uh, you know, he taught me how to, how to how to eat well. He taught me um, how to train properly. Like, him, him and I would go to the field 30 minutes before training, 40 minutes before training, I'd be on there doing stuff with him. We train. And then right after we do more stuff and go straight to the gym. And that I think instilled a lot of professionalism into like who I am today. And like you, you mentioned, obviously COVID hit in there. Was that kind of what sparked you coming to the CPL then with Edmonton just to, to get back to Canada? Yeah. Well, after 2020, when we had news that they were going to go to the MLS, um, you know, COVID you know, rocked a lot of stuff. And they were like, look, we're going to shut down the club and uh, save money for this next year before we go to the MLS. And all of us are like, you know, great. You know, lots of us are hoping we'll try and we'll play well and maybe get an invitation to preseason or something, right? Yeah. That's what we were all hoping for. Um, And then at the end of the season, they're like, well, uh, this team's not going to be around actually. And we're pushing the MLS team to the year after. And we're like, okay, great. We have to find something new. So that's Mm -hmm. what basically uh, put me in search and my agent um, into coming to Edmonton. Was it was it nice to reunite with Alan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually really cool because in um, you know the last time I saw him was I think SFU or maybe around the city somewhere. Um, but yeah, to connect, I remember he gave me a phone call after I signed because I was talking to the president like, oh, who are the, who are going to be the coaches? Like, what's going to happen? And I remember I was just driving around in Oklahoma, I think you know maybe packing up stuff to like head back home. And then Alan calls me, and I thought he was going to give me an, you know an opportunity, and I think he was in Colorado. Oh, yeah, Colorado Springs, yeah. Yeah, so I was wondering, I was like, oh, maybe he'll ask me to come there. And he was like, oh, have you heard the news? And I was like, oh, no. He's like, oh, I'm going to be the head coach of uh, Edmonton. I was like, oh, no way. (laughs) Oh, wow. Because when when you went there, because you had the one season there, and then you didn't sign for York until the, the summer of the following year. Yeah. That was when all this stuff was coming out about Edmonton being in trouble. Like, did did you deliberately take that time off to just think about what your next move was going to be or was it just just a struggle to find a club at that point yeah i was like we had an okay season at edmonton and then when they lost the owners and the and the league took over everyone's salaries basically got cut right you know it was everybody was basically going to be on minimum and we're going to provide housing for you and that's it so i was trying to find something new i was like look my time at edmonton was great but i really enjoyed playing down in the states 
Um, so I was holding off on contracts in, um, in Canada, which, you know, when I look back at it, I probably should have just taken something. Um, but I was trying to get back down to the States, playing the USL, but the rules were, you know, now that there's a Canadian league, um, the Canadian players are now international players. So it was tough for me to find something. So once, you know, end of December hit, January came around, end of January came, I was like, oh gosh, like this is not looking that great. Um, so then I just kind of was like, I guess I got to wait until the summer and transfer windows and um, hopefully, you know, sign then. So I was actually down in the States training and up here in Vancouver and I was just on the field every day training, staying fit, hoping that, you know, something would come around. And, you know, that was, that was tough. You know, going out on the field by yourself, all your buddies are playing on professional teams already or they're training. You know, they have things to do and you're out there on the field by yourself, just, you know, running cones, doing drills in your, uh, by yourself. Man, it was it was tough. It was tough. You had a good season last year at York and you had the most appearances for them. We talked about all the different positions you played. How are you hoping to build upon that now for, for this coming season? Because you, you look around the squad and we talked about the, the youngness. It's like... This guy's almost half your age, if you think about it that way. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. how are you hoping to build on this? And how do you see yourself fitting into Ashton's team? Um, I think for me, wherever Ashman needs me to fit in, I think I will. Even if it's outside back, you know, sliding into the center back if needed, playing as a defensive mid. I think he wants some rotation with like midfielders and outside backs and things like that. So, you know, I think I'll fit in pretty good. Um but yeah, I think I just, you know, be confident going into training and, you know, we have, it's a good squad and I want it, I want it, Vancouver, I want this club to be a good squad and I want it to be competitive and I don't want, you know, I don't want there to be like, look, there's a set 11 and all the rest of the guys are like, hey, like maybe I'll get some time throughout the year. Like I want there to be people competing for spots because when guys are competing for spots and the whole roster is, the team just stays good. It gets better throughout the year and then that's what you want. So um, yeah, we have a lot of quality guys on the team already, and I think a lot of quality guys coming in. Um, and it's just, I think it's going to be a big building here for Vancouver this year. Uh, in the the highlight video that that uh, that Caitlin and the crew put out, um, yeah. I just I just want to ask you about a moment. Now it's kind of not uh, as an amazing moment as you as you would want, but again, specific last year in the it was in the playoffs, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you you hit the bicycle kick that would have equalized, yeah. right? Oh yeah, yeah. I wonder if you could walk us walk us through the emotions there with one, just pulling it off, and then two, the yeah. the follow up disappointment of it being taken back. Oh my gosh, it was it was so heartbreaking. Like we were trying to get we were trying to get something, so you know, just put balls in the box. Um, but as soon as the ball got headed out, I was you know getting making my way outside, you know, trying to get, stay up with the line, stay even because. I don't know. The ball was going to Jeremy. I don't know if he's going to play it wide. I don't know if he's going to just hoof it in the box. So I was kind of ready for anything. And as soon as he put it in the box and it was coming at a certain angle, I was just like, okay, well, I guess I got to, I guess I'm going on my back this time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just kind of, you know, there's a few times in training, you're just messing around. You're like, Hey, I'm just going to try one. So that moment I was just like, Hey, well, I'm just going to try it, get my foot on it see if it goes on target. And it did, but yeah, getting up was so heartbreaking. Um, you know, being offside and then, as soon as you know hit the goal kick and the whistle goes it's the end of the game i'm like wow like if that if i could have pulled that off and you know we would have taken it to pk's or extra time and then we would say if we won and got through that would have been amazing probably like a moment of my career you know yeah the yeah. I mean, the, fan, the fans here are, are hoping that you can uh can can recreate that against pacific this year 
Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, I hope you have so. to pick uh, this time, this time, Yeah, this time not being offside. It was funny. Yes. One of my best friends, Easton, he was uh he talked to me after the game. He's like, Man, if if you scored that, that would have been unbelievable. But I was the last man coming up from the back line. So if I didn't get up, you would have been onside. I was like, Well, you couldn't have given me something? I was like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I was pleased though that you got to the playoffs more for like Nash's point of view because yeah. I think it, with the new owners coming in, it's one of those moments. If you don't mm. make the playoffs, you're probably not back the next season. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's known, a lot of pressure on him. Yeah, having known him for so long, it's like it, it was really good for him. It's such a long off season. It's like five to six months. Yeah. Are, are you picturing? running out making your your debut for for the club fans and friendly in the stands are you like getting goosebumps just thinking about that moment oh oh yeah all, all the time uh the last week like you know even just you know when the snow was here running on the treadmill you're pumping music you're, you're you're excited you know that you know the home opener is always you know usually it's a one of the biggest games of the year um you want to prove to the fans and the crowd that you know this team you know we're a quality team um but yeah I can't wait, you know, seeing friends, family, fans, you know, you, you get goosebumps, you know, you get nervous, but it's just the excitement, you know. Fantastic. Well, it's been a, a pleasure chatting to you today, Paris. Yeah, Looking for forward to, to seeing you in the the black and red for this coming yeah. season. Catch up with you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, great chat. Great stuff from Paris G there. Your veritable Swiss army knife. The kind of player that every team wants to have. He can play so many positions across that back line. Even move up into the defensive midfield role. And he's played a number of forward midfield positions as well. So certainly a good addition for Afshin Gopi. And it's going to be interesting to see how Paris fits into the team this year. But we're glad he's back here in BC. And it's another of the great additions for VFC. And as we mentioned at the start of our chat there, very personal reasons for Paris to come back to play in the lower mainland. His dad at the moment is suffering from chronic kidney disease. His kidneys are failing and he is badly in need of a kidney donor. He's started off with dialysis and they are still looking for a kidney donor. It's a search that has been going on since I think about June last year. As Paris talked about there, there's been a a couple of possibilities, but it's just not been the perfect fit. So if you are interested in possibly donating your kidney, or if there's somebody that you might know that, that does want to do that, you can contact the donor nurse coordinator at Vancouver General Hospital on 604 875 5182 or email kidneydonornurse at vch.ca. You can also get in touch with the BC Transplant website, www.transplant.bc.ca. Quote the file number 25572. Um, doesn't matter where you are in Canada, if you feel you can help, help get this kidney donorship to Paris's dad, then please do. Get in touch and you can remain completely anonymous if you do. So fingers crossed something can get sorted out for Paris's dad there. Obviously it's a very concerning time for everyone in the G family. 
But we look forward to seeing how Paris will be on the pitch for Vancouver FC this coming season. A player who made his debut for Vancouver FC last year in their inaugural season, setting records as he went along, the youngest player to sign in CPL history, a record that has now been usurped by Grady McDonnell, who we spoke to on last week's show. He also became the youngest player to score in the CPL and went away to play at the World Cup for Canada at the end of the year. The player, of course, is TJ Tahid. We got a chance to chat with him as well this week. And we'll be back with that and go all the way back to 1974 after this. Hi, I'm TJ Tahid, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we've gone back to 1974. It's our song from that year for this episode, released on January 28th, 1974. Mark Bolan and T-Rex, how can it have been anyone else? Such a distinctive sound. Teenage Dream entered the UK charts at number 18 on February 3rd, 1974, peaking at number 13. The only single to be taken from T-Rex's ninth studio album, Zinc Alloy and the Hidden Riders of Tomorrow, which was released on March 1st, 1974. Now, I'm a huge Mark Bolin, huge T-Rex fan. Absolutely love his music, got a number of his albums, regularly play them. As I say, such a a distinctive voice, such a pioneer of the UK music scene as well. Started off kind of in the folk rock, psychedelic rock, big member of the, the glam scene in the UK as well. So, so many good songs by Mark Boland, sadly taken away from us way too soon, aged just 29 
when he died in 1977 in a car accident. The, the car he was travelling in just veered off the road, hit a fence, hit a tree, sadly killing Mark Bolan instantly. But the music that he's left behind, including that song Teenage Dream, absolutely fantastic. If you're not familiar with Mark Bolan and T-Rex, check them out. Wonderful artist, wonderful music. So for any new listeners, if you're not aware why we've gone back to 1974, it's because all year long on the podcast and on the website, we will be chronicling Vancouver Whitecaps' first year of existence, which was 1974. Their inaugural season kicked off in May that year. We're going to be playing a song this week that was either released this week or charted this week or in the charts this week either in the UK or in Canada throughout the year. We're also going to be touching on what happened this week, 50 years ago. Music-wise, Mud was still the number one UK single with Tiger Feet, a song that we played a couple of weeks ago. The Carpenters reached number one in their UK album charts with their 1969 to 1973 singles collection. Terry Jacks' Season in the Sun was the number one single in Canada for the second week, while Barbara Streisand hit the number one spot in the Billboard Hot 100. The Exorcist was still the number one film in America and Canada, with The Sting, the number one movie at the UK box office. It was a quietish week for the Whitecaps this week in 1974, just 13 weeks out to their first ever match, well, it was quite publicly. I'm sure it was all a bit nuts behind the scenes. And we're going to be chronicling the main talking points of the Whitecaps on the podcast and on the website on a weekly, fortnightly, monthly basis, depending on how much news there was. We covered all of January in last week's show. Put that up on the website as an article as well, which went down very well. So thank you for all the lovely comments about that. I'm glad everyone has enjoyed it. It's been a lot of work, a lot of research, but it's nice to see people are enjoying it. So we're we're looking at this week, 50 years ago, in terms of when this podcast comes out. So that's January 29th to February 4th, 1974. So it had been a fairly quiet week, at least behind the scenes. But Monday, February 4th, 1974 was a momentous day for the new Vancouver North American Soccer League Club. After a fairly quiet start to the year, publicly at least, uh, I'm sure behind the scenes they were like paddling like ducks and underwater. But on February 4th, the new team got their name, their logo and their first player 13 weeks out before their first ever match in the league. Ticket prices for the season were also announced that day, as was confirmation that the team would play their home games out of Empire Stadium. So, fast-forwarding 50 years, the biggest news from all of that was that the new club now had a name, and it was a name that was to stand the test of time, albeit it disappeared for, for 17 years, but one that is proudly Going strong today, for on that day, Vancouver Whitecaps were born. Now, Vancouver's owners had initially planned to put the name for the new team out to a public vote, but the club's executive vice president, Denny Veach, 
felt that in the end they didn't have to because the name that they came up with themselves was so good. Veach told a assembled media, It's a name that conjures up visions of snow-capped mountains or white-capped waves. We consider holding our name the team contest, but while we wanted community involvement, we felt we had the name we were looking for. The contest idea was abandoned because we didn't feel the name Whitecaps could be improved upon. Now, something else that was quickly abandoned was the club's initial idea for a crest. Now, the one which most of us will be familiar with from the 1974 season, a red maple leaf inside a red and white football. So remember, that's different from the iconic blue and white wave and and soccer ball from 79. This was their initial red maple leaf design. The one that is going to be kind of gold for the golden anniversary, if that leaked kit is to be believed. But thankfully, they did reveal another crest that day and it was abandoned because it was a a horrible football on a splodge-style wave, I guess. It doesn't even really look like a, a wave. And when we do this in a written form on the website on February the 4th this year, we'll, we'll put a photo up of that. It was truly horrendous. So Veach also announced that day that the Whitecaps would kick off their inaugural season on Saturday, May 4th, at home to the San Francisco expansion team because they didn't yet have their San Jose Earthquakes moniker. It was confirmed that home games would be played at Empire Stadium, mostly on Saturday evenings and Sunday afternoons, with 10 league matches and two friendlies. Tickets would cost $4, $3 and $2, depending on which section you chose to sit in, and they would go on general sale from March 1st. Season ticket holders could also get a discount on the two friendly games if they signed up for the season. But who would play in the team? Who would manage the team? Well, the latter was still part of ongoing discussions. Several candidates were ruled out, though. One of those was University of Victoria Vikes head coach Brian Hughes. The experienced Welshman had made 231 appearances for Swansea City, 60 appearances for Atlanta Chiefs in the NASL in the 60s, and had been capped at under-23 level by Wales. Based now in Victoria, the Whitecaps were interested in Hughes as their head coach, but it fell apart due to the money being offered for the position, or more rather the lack of it, not being up to what Hughes was wanting. So Hughes turned the Whitecaps down, revealing that he'd been offered a $1,000 a month salary, whereas the average head coach's salary for the rest of the league was between 1500 and 1600 a month. Now... Some may facetiously say that the Whitecaps maintained this cheap persona for many decades to come, but I, I, I wouldn't say that. Hughes was actually interviewed by the Vancouver Sun about turning the position down, and he said that Denny Veach made a lot of sense talking about the business end of the operation, but he didn't make so much sense about the actual fielding of a soccer club, and I expect that's because he's never been involved with the game, but I think the operation is on the right road and he's got a hell of a good chance to make it go. Hughes, incidentally, went on to coach Uvic Vikes to their first CIAU national men's soccer title in 1975 and as a 
very storied man in the history of Vike soccer over on the island. Veach also vowed that February 4th day that the Whitecaps would be the first professional Vancouver team to make the playoffs in 1974. They weren't. They didn't actually make the NSL playoffs until 1976. The Canucks actually made, made the NHL playoffs before the Whitecaps and they did that the, the year earlier in 1975 for the first time. So, no coach, but the Whitecaps did get their first player that day and he was a local lad to boot with experience playing in the top flight of England, the first division, as it was properly called back then, none of this Premier League nonsense. February 4th, 1974, so 22-year-old Vancouver-born forward Glenn Johnson become the first ever Whitecap player. Johnson had been spotted playing locally in 1969 by West Bromwich Albion when they were over on a summer tour, he was invited over to the Midlands for a trial in July that year and signed a professional contract with the Baggies. He soon made his debut and played three matches for West Brom before suffering a knee injury and although he was technically on their books till 1974, he returned to Canada playing locally and he, he never played another match for them. First capped by Canada in 1972, the Canada Soccer Hall of Famer was signed by the Whitecaps from local BC's Soccer League side Pegasus, where he led the league that season, scoring 15 goals from his 11 matches. Johnson went on to play four seasons for the Whitecaps in the NASL from 1974 to 1977, one season for the Caps in their 1975 NASL indoor league season, before hanging his boots up at the age of just 25. And he hung them up for personal reasons. His 17-month-old son, Nathan, was sadly diagnosed with cancer. So, Glenn Johnson retired to, to spend more time with his son, who sadly passed away just aged five. Johnson went on to play 59 games for the Whitecaps in those four NASL seasons, scoring 18 goals and contributing 16 assists. He was the team's leading scorer in the 1975 season, he was also named Man of the Match in the Whitecaps' first ever game, that game against the Earthquakes, grabbing the assist on the first ever Whitecaps goal when Neil Ellett tucked away Johnson's corner. That was this week in Whitecaps land in 1974. We'll be back with more in next week's show. And if you can remember all the way back to the start of this part, we played the T-Rex song, Teenage Dream. And a player... That was a teenage dream for Vancouver FC last season, hopefully continuing it into his sophomore year, TJ Tahid. TJ signed professional deal with VFC on May 6th last year, made his debut the following day, becoming the youngest player ever to play in the CPL at 16 years and 17 days. He went on to make 20 appearances for Vancouver FC in their inaugural season, scoring three goals. He earned a call-up to the Canadian under-17 national team, went and played in the World Cup in Indonesia, and recently, in January 2024, he's been on trial over in Holland with Dutch club Feyenoord. We got a chance to sit down with TJ this week just to chat about his first year, well, his first 10 months even, as a pro and his experiences with Canada 
over in Holland and a lot more. So go stick the kettle on again, grab another biscuit of choice because you are worth it. Sit back and enjoy our chat with Tarek Jordan Tahit. TJ, thank you for doing this with us today. It's It's been a whirlwind first year, really, for you as a pro. In fact, I say first year, it's not even been first year yet. It's just kind of been t- 10 months. Like, how do you yeah. look back at it all so far? Yeah, it's just like, it's been, yeah, been a, a great year. Um, very life-changing year for me um, in every aspect of my day-to-day life um yeah it's just going from being that amateur to the professional level it's a pretty big step um but it was really good um and it and uh it was really good for me to adapt and continue working um and yeah yeah i mean you've certainly you've put the work in you put the the miles in this year as well and we'll we'll look at you at your first season with vfc and we'll talk about what's happened since that season ended as well but i want to start by going way back and just kind of talk about your journey to this stage now there's been a lot written about you we've had stuff written felipe did a chat with you just after you signed your deal and stuff as well just about your journey your love of football your family you're a big Arsenal fan. When did you first really, though, have a love for the game? And when did you feel, this is what I want to do as a career and I, I can do this? Um, I think first, I've loved the game for as long as I could remember. My parents put a ball at my feet when I was a, when I was a little kid. Um, and then from then, just just had a... The love for the game uh and then watching arsenal growing up um just continued uh having the love and the passion and seeing myself wanting to to be there in the future i mean if you can have watched arsenal for these past few years and still love the game that's obviously a good sign i'm a west ham fan so it's like it's even worse for me yeah. but you had training stints in Spain, in Denmark, in the US, Ghana. Uh, your dad set up Van City Pro Football Academy. Just talk about all of those experiences and that, that's kind of got you ready for for then signing that first deal. Yeah, for me, um, having the, all those experiences from different parts of the world, it just helped me build um, my, my experience uh, for the game and see how around the world differently they play and put it using that in my own game to have sort of a more unique game to just a Spanish player or a, a Danish player or whatever. I have all the, um, all those experiences that, that can help me mold into a different player. I'm sure there was a lot of options available to you. I, I mean, It'd be crazy to think that the Whitecaps didn't show interest in you at some point if they're following good local talent. But what made you feel that Vancouver FC was the right fit for you to take that first step in the pro game? 
Um, I feel like for me and my family, we we felt Vancouver FC was the the best option for us, especially having a coach like Coach Afshin with all his experience um, and him a- being able to to help me and continue to develop me um, and push me on to the next level. So if we talk about some of your first season Vancouver memories and, and special moments, let's go back to your signing day and, and that announcement. It was obviously momentous for you, for your family, for, for the club. Talk us through what that day was, was like for you and, and how do you look back on it now? Do you still kind of get goosebumps thinking about it? Yeah, it's just, it was a pretty spectacular moment for me. Um, yeah, I, I always look back on that day, but then um, I always, always remember that's that's when the work really started. Yeah. Um, and um, still, I have to continue and keep moving on. You didn't have to wait too much time um, after your signing, uh, as your debut came the very next day. You were sixteen years old, sixteen years and seventeen days old. Uh, what do you remember about your debut? What stands out to you? Yeah, just the whole day. The whole day, I I remember it so well. Um, from waking up to going to sleep that that night. Um, but being there the opening day, um, having a red card one one, and um. Coach Afshin having the the trust to put me in, um, and play me in front of all the 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 home fans. It was sold out. Um, it was yeah, it was a, a amazing experience. Yeah, it was a, it was a memorable day for sure. I mean, yes. you could also say it was a good experience for what the rest of the season was going to be like playing <laughs> with ten men. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. You did- you didn't have to wait uh, too long for your 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 first goal. It came uh, in in June, June second. Of course, it came in a massive match in a derby. We don't need to talk about the result uh, of that match, but um, what a, what a huge moment for you! And uh, yeah, was that a relief to get that kind of off uh, the monkey off your back, or like how did you feel about that amazing strike against Pacific? No, I just I had a feeling that day that um I was gonna score and in that moment um it was at the end of the half in stoppage time, uh and then going into the half three three uh, we felt really good about about how we were gonna do that game Pacific Derby game, um and yeah it was just yeah that was a uh, a very good very good feeling that that feeling. Nice, um we spoke uh last week to Grady. Uh, he's taken up that youngest player mantle from you <laughs> really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, from what you've learned in your first year as a pro, what advice would you give to him and any other young players uh, that are now going to follow in your guys' uh, pathway coming to the club and to the league at such a young age? Um, I think just don't don't look at yourself as a 15, 16-year-old. Um Look at yourself as as one of the other players, and if you have the, the the trust in the coach, and he puts you in, that means you're doing the right thing. So just continue working and uh, and growing, and you'll see the results come. What what did you learn about yourself as both a player and, and a person last year? Wow. I would say I'm a very, very hardworking person. Um, yeah, it's like 
to see my some of my peers and the work I do. Um, I work, I have I put in that extra work. Uh, I take care of myself, uh, my body. Go to sleep the right time and yeah, just I'm. I think I have. I'm a good professional, on and off the field. I mean that's fantastic, to you. And like when you look at a guy like Renon as well, when we spoke yeah. to him, he spoke about his regimen for getting yeah, ready yeah. and still playing at the age that he is. And it's like that's all you can kind of hope for is that you're going to have as long a career as someone like like him. Yeah. And season one in the books now at club level how do you feel that your your game grew and then what do you feel you need to still work on now to take this next step in season two yeah i feel um my my level in and every aspect changed and went up um drastically um just playing with the the pros in in canada um the speed is pretty high um so having the 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 mindset and thinking to get, continue moving um faster is uh one of the big things that i feel me and the other guys the younger guys need to to continue working on so yeah part of the development and the ways to improve is is getting uh is is playing with uh you know playing and training with professionals and you've had the opportunity to to do that here in the off season i wanted to ask about uh about your time at Feyenoord. i i had the privilege in 2003 to go watch canada play germany in wolfsburg and i got mm. to i got to I, my ticket was with uh papa de guzman uh, to, oh, watch, yeah. to watch julian and a 15 year old yeah. a 15 year old jonathan de guzman was there and so he'd already been at Feyenoord for three years and so he yeah all that time ago told me how great the setup was and how what she learned as a young player there. I was wondering what was it like for you? And then also, uh, did they did they speak about, oh yeah, we know what it's like to have good young Canadians come in and, and be in be in this environment with us. Yeah, no, it was uh yeah, very great environment. Um they they had a newer setup as well. Um and yeah, just from from getting there, all the staff, the coaches, the trainers. They're all very welcoming. Um, it was good that everyone spoke English as well. Um, but yeah, they a, f- a few times they talked about having the Guzman there. Um, and yeah, it's just it was it was nice knowing that there's another Canadian been there uh, and then been successful there. Yeah, I guess how how do you see these trial these not trials these training stints that you have like how do you see them uh, in in helping you grow your game? Uh, is it valuable to like? Do you find it valuable? Do you find it meaningful for yourself doing more than one? Like you went to multiple places, right? Is that helpful? Um, like what do you what do you what do you feel like you're getting out of this other than yeah, uh, just like a new opportunity, new new types of training? What does it mean to you? Having training in all those different places around the world. Um, it helps me uh, develop my game in different ways, seeing how they develop their game in, in their countries. Um, and then taking that back and putting it into my own game, my own experience, that definitely helps. Um, and then just putting my name out there, different places around the world, they're able to to watch my journey. Um, 
and continue to see me grow. And I feel like that's a very, very good thing about those trials that come out of it. Cool. I mean, you've mentioned your dreams to go and play over in Europe. Obviously, Arsenal would be the, the one that you'd love to go to. There's a Scottish club called East Fife we can talk to you about. I'm pitching this to all of the guys that I speak to. Yes, mm-hmm. we're fourth tier, but you can take us to the top. It's like, it's totally fine. Um, but like we, we spoke to Paris earlier, and he spoke about when he was young, he went over to Croatia, and he was kind of blown away by the different technical level that he saw there from what he'd come to in, in Canada. Yeah. Obviously, the Dutch, they're, they're known technical side of the game. When, when you're playing over there and the, uh, training over there, do you look at it and you're like, wow, we've still got a long way to go in Canada to kind of get to this level at this kind of stage? Yeah, it's definitely different levels for sure. But um, I've been going to these trials for a few years now. And every every year that I've gone, um, especially with my the academy I was at, I see that where Canada is getting closer and closer and just better and better almost every every year. Um, uh, and a lot of, a lot of people don't, don't see around the world, don't see that, but even just having Canada at the world cup, that was a big thing. We didn't do really well, but, um, just, it was a big thing, um, for Canada and to show that we're growing in the football world. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Just to to finish our chat, but, but talking about that, when we last spoke at the end of the season, we would said to you. I mean, we thought you would be in the squad, but we obviously said, "What would it mean to you if you were in the squad?" So, you you went off to Indonesia. You played for Canada. You started all three games for Canada in that World Cup. How was that whole experience for you? Yeah, it was. It was a great experience. Although we didn't, we didn't do how we wanted to. Um, obviously. Just the overall experience was was amazing. Um, from from pre camp till the day we left, uh, just the setup, the the quality, the professionalism, everything was it was it was just an amazing experience. The weather certainly seemed interesting, like roasting, humid, yeah. torrential rain. I mean, I think you had everything in the yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was just. It was just hot all the time, whatever it was, raining, bloody. It was just always, yeah, very hot. But for for two of our games, we were fortunate enough to have it in the night. So it was it was cooler. Um but yeah, we 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 had went to Brazil and and trained for that. Yeah. Um, in the pre camp as well. Bali. Bali is usually um hotter than the rest of Indonesia. So um, I feel like we we conditioned ourselves pretty well. Did, did you get a chance to explore Indonesia much, or was it were you just sort of training, resting, or, or did you get a chance to do some sightseeing at least? Yeah, with the team in Bali, um, the pre camp, there is a few days we went to a few places there. Nice. Um, and then after after the tournament was finished, I stayed back with my my mom and my sisters and. We were around a few parts of the country, and it was yeah, that was nice. Oh, that's fantastic! And yeah, having a a pre-tournament thing in Bali is a, a nice little thing as well. I know you're there to work, yeah. but it's obviously yeah. still nice. 
And talking about pre-tournament, you got your first Canadian goal as well, and against Argentina, yeah. a, a like fantastic country, and we saw how well they did in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, what what was that like to to break your international scoring duck? Yeah, it was. I just I was very motivated that game because um, I knew it was Argentina. Uh, we had just lost to another South American team. I didn't want that to happen again. Um, so. So yeah, I um I was just I had a few chances, created a few chances that game and my goal came and I took it. Now obviously you're playing for Canada, but you do have Ghanaian heritage and from a, a Ghanaian Canadian family. Have you been watching the Nations Cup? Yes, yes, I've I, I've been watching, yeah. I imagine that didn't go down well with your family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was um I don't want to say too much, but but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't um, the best performance that Ghana has had. No, for I, sure. I I just caught up with the the tournament like last night. I watched Monday and Tuesday's games. It's been amazing. The talent that's coming yeah. through and yeah. different countries as well. There's been so yeah, it's not shocks. it's not the the usual suspects yeah. that you see. You have uh, this the smaller. Uh, footballing countries that are that are growing around Africa, and you can see it in the tournament. You talk about you know going on these these training stints and and uh, getting exposure and all that kind of stuff. I'm just, I was wondering what um, I I know like I first I didn't know who you were like I, I, when we when training preseason training was happening. I didn't know who you were. Yeah, um, and it wasn't until uh, an old friend of mine named David Osted was there at training, and I was like, Hey, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Dave? David and he's like, oh, he's like, dude, you have to watch this kid. This is my, this is a kid from these the, the group of academies that I'm a part yeah. of. He's like, keep your eye on this kid, and he pointed you out, and I was like, oh, okay, well, keep, yeah, we'll keep an eye. If David tells me to keep. <laughs> so you have guys like David Osted in your corner. You have obviously Rob Friend as the owner of Six Five Sports of, of Vancouver FC. I'm, I'm just wondering if you, if you talk about what it means to have people like this who have connections around the world that that help open doors for this. What that means to you and. um yeah, just those relationship we have with maybe those two guys. Yeah, it's it's amazing having all those all those people support me and put their reputation on the line for me, uh, really, um, and having their trust in me. Um, just being able to show them and show uh, the people that they're they're talking to that I'm able to I'm able to um, perform. It's just um, it's a good feeling. Just the last thing to ask you. Great 2023. You've started off 2024 well with that trial in, in Feyenoord. What, what's your, your hopes, your dreams, your, your aspirations for 2024? Yeah, for me, it's just I have to keep working every day, take take it day by day, and we'll see, we'll see where 2024 takes us. Fantastic. And yeah, look forward to seeing you on the pitch this year and all the best for the coming season. Thank you. Thank you very much. Vancouver FC midfielder TJ Tahid there and it's going to be really interesting to see what his sophomore season holds in store. It's always a tricky thing your sophomore year. Will he push on? Will he get more starts? How long will he be with Vancouver FC? Still just 16, he'll be 17 in April. He can't go and sign overseas till he's 18 but you have to feel the future is very bright for TJ Tahid. Enjoy him while you can here in the Lower Mainland. Get out to see him play 
with Vancouver FC. But that is it for this part. It's not it for the CPL chart though, because it has been a very interesting few days in the land of the Canadian Premier League. Canadian soccer business, Media Pro, they're going to court. And we'll be back chatting about all of that after this. Hi, I'm Paris G, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. No boots on or hard hat, just pen and a pad. No procedure to retreat by sending you back. No one can see the bigger picture, art is under attack. So now I need to find somebody qualified for the task. Damn, I walked into a pub and asked, do you know anybody who wrapped a glass mask? The barman said, I know someone that could be found, but to me you'll have to go to the other side of town. Been keeping my head low, drones blowing in the wind, people calling me bro, and so the show begins. I've come up with a quotable poem, and I've written it. I drank a bottle of hope, and then I pissed in it. They're getting older and sadder, I'm getting younger and fatter I get methodical patter, they keep on mumbling quicker Me and my mucker for the butter, spirits like I'll struck a winner And best believe we fucking deliver We need to turn up and set the tone Real MCs You stand by, the rest go home Is a life worth living if it's set in stone? We spent our whole life rapping, the effects unknown We need to show up and set the tone It's like a breath of fresh air when the best get on We're not trying to be cocky, we're just letting you know We spent this whole time rapping, the effects unknown That's cool, we got the plan sus Not a flow we can't crush They're just out for the ride like bang bus They rap tough but act dumb We came to steal the show Now everybody put your hands up Our music videos will be like films from the cinema Beat you over the head with until you get sick of us Never gonna get rid of us We'll remix our verses over songs from other artists Who are obviously bigger than us Shit my head when I was young cause I two-pack Left my living hell and I never looked back I don't get nostalgic, I don't miss him I don't think about the future anytime I risk Take Lone Wolf I spit the truth, the whole truth But I can change quicker than soups in a phone booth Never loved Americans who sought the penitentiary Showed my authenticity and fought them with intensity We need to turn up and set the tone Real MCs You stand by, the rest go home Is a life worth living if it's set in stone? We spent our whole life rapping, the effects unknown Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM And kicking off this part It's a new single from Edinburgh rapper Deco, Taken from his upcoming solo album Featuring the Glasgow rapper Mog and former Artist of the Month as well, Mog. This song is called Effects Unknown. You can get it on the SOS record label. You can find it in all the usual places. Fantastic song. Looking forward to the new album coming up from Deco. And there was a big Canadian soccer news story that broke on Thursday afternoon. One of which the effects will be unknown, at least for a bit of time yet to come. But you can be sure it's one that will have massive ramifications for the game here in Canada. Now, it's a fast-moving story, and there could be major developments that have come out by the time that this podcast drops. Just things are taking twists left, right and centre with it. And we hate it when mummy and daddy fight. (laughs) But Canadian Soccer Business and Media Pro are going through a messy divorce. One that looks like it's going to have to be settled by the Ontario Superior Court of Justice. Both sides are wanting out of the 10-year agreement between the two, with each one blaming the other for the breakdown and accusing the other of activities and lack of activities that have seen them renege on that initial agreement. 
Canadian soccer business, CSB as we'll just refer to them for the, the rest of this part. They issued a statement on Thursday alleging that MediaPro failed to meet significant contractual obligations, including defaulting on the majority of its rights fees due for 2023, along with a failure to secure broader audiences for Canada's national teams, the Canadian Championship and the Canadian Premier League. CSB's statement said, Our decision to pursue legal action was not one we took lightly, but we felt it was necessary to protect the tremendous investments we have made to build the game in Canada. But taking back full control for rights, we will immediately have the opportunity to do so with new partners who have the ability to reach larger audiences. Media Pro presented a, a different story and they blamed CSB on their statement that was issued on Thursday, saying, Despite the huge passion Canadians have for soccer, it has become clear that CSB has been and will be unable to fulfil its side of our commercial agreement. We have made best efforts to work with the CSB on a constructive path forward, but have come to a position where we have no choice but to seek to terminate our agreement. The statement said MediaPro has invested more than $60 million to create an ecosystem for the Canadian game and its fans, including through new production facilities and capabilities, popular online communities, and the establishment of One Soccer, a first-of-its-kind channel dedicated to Canadian soccer. We believe that no entity has invested more in Canadian soccer than MediaPro. So that was the two initial statements that came out on Thursday afternoon and the online reaction was shock, confusion, so many questions, disappointingly a lot of people gloating at this which I really, really did not like because whatever your thoughts of the commentators on One Soccer, some of the personalities at One Soccer, the the fact that it's on a streaming service behind a paywall, the one thing you really cannot argue with is they provided coverage of the game here in Canada that nobody else was willing to do. Yet there's podcasts, yes, there's YouTube channels, there's some fantastic writers and bloggers out there, but to have so much things in the one place that One Soccer provided, it was fantastic. And if that is a casualty of this, which you imagine it probably will be, that's a massive loss to the, the Canadian game. And for people to maybe dance on their graves, I think you need to give your heads a shake there. Yeah, I, I saw you tweeting about this or whatever. I, I I haven't been on watching people's reactions on uh, on on X <laughs> about this much. I saw someone on Instagram say something, and I. I couldn't help but hold back because they shared uh, perspectives and that, in my opinion, were not only partially false, but definitely misleading. And so I said stuff and then had to give my, you know, more detail to my position on it or whatever. But um, no, I, 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 it's hard because with one soccer, right, there are some difficult personalities that Mm -hmm. are there or that are some that are not in the limelight anymore. (laughs) that are problematic for, for people. Um, and so 
yeah, I, I agree with you. You you have to be able to separate those, your your appreciation or dislike for people who've been a part of the broadcast teams there, um, with what they've contributed to football culture and growing the game in our country, right? So yeah, there's people there that aren't my favorite announcers or pundits or whatever, but the actual service itself I'm highly grateful for. Mm-hmm. Right, so yeah, I, 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 so they honest. stepped up and supported the league when others weren't stepping up. Yeah, and, and so when you when I saw your tweet saying, "Oh, I can't believe people are like dancing on their on their supposed or potential uh, grave," I was like, "Yeah, that's that's kind of un- unfortunate." I mean, there's a lot we're going to talk about in in this part, and there's a lot we still don't know, and it's a fast moving story, as I said at the start, and yeah, it's going to take lots of twists and turns and everything. I mean, it's a mess. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say that. When this broke on Thursday, and then we'll talk about some of the stuff that came out in the filings on Friday in a second, but when this broke on Thursday, I mean, what was your initial thoughts? I mean, it was like disbelief. I had just gone online, and I was just reading stuff, and I read it, and I literally said out loud, what the fuck? And Caitlin was like, what is it? And I was like, oh, no, it's just something that's happened in, in, in football. I mean, I can't believe this. It, it genuinely, I did not see this coming. Uh, honestly, I, I wasn't surprised, Michael, because like you and I have talked about there, this is not the first time that Media Pro has uh, had a contract break with the league. Mm-hmm. Also, this is not the first time that there's been known issues between Media Pro's compensation to cpl csb in the five years or whatever it's been of the contract already right like around the pandemic there was you know media pro didn't want to pay certain amounts or for certain things or or whatever and i there was a struggle there and i'm pretty sure that that was public at in and around that time and it was understandable because the world was in the middle of a pandemic um and then yeah 20 2020 the 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 deal media pro with the media pro made with the Liga in France. Um, you know, they pulled out of it. Uh, it was like, you know, over $3 billion and they just stopped paying after four months. And it literally, like, if you go back and read articles at the time, it was like, this could be lead to the collapse of French football, right? Like mm-hmm. it was, it was incredibly serious. Just like other examples that have happened around the world. So I, I honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening. I could never see this ever happening. Uh, but I was a little, uh, I mean, my first thoughts are like, okay, yeah, how am I going to watch my team play this year? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I should say from everything that you've said, yeah, in, in that regard, it's maybe not as surprising, but just the timing of it, it, it just seems yeah. to have come out of the blue because there hasn't even been any murmurs that, that this was going down. And with all the battles with Canada soccer csb the the players and going to court it's like i don't think many folk saw this kind of twist in the tail now we'll get as i say we'll get into a lot of the details of it in many ways it might actually be one of the good things for the cpl because they might actually get on a platform where they'll have more eyeballs on the league and that is what is needed to grow the league which ironically in the filings is something that CSB feel Media Pro didn't grow it enough, and Media Pro are feeling that they 
they didn't have enough help to, to grow it. So I'll, we'll get into to what some of the filings said that was kind of revealed a little bit on Friday. In a five-page notice of action, CSB alleges MediaPro has reneged on its payments and improperly repudiated their agreement covering media rights and production, broadcast and distribution. In its filing, CSB alleges MediaPro did not meet its requirements, including failing to deliver on a sub-licensing arrangement for linear television broadcasting that would expose its content to a greater audience via cable. During the five years of the agreement, MediaPro failed to comply with a number of its obligations, including failing to pay six million of license fees owing for 2023, carry out required marketing of the One Soccer Channel, and enter into an appropriate sub-license agreement. That's what it says in the notice of action. CSB continue in their filing by concluding that MediaPro's conduct and failure to abide by its duty to perform the, the agreement in good faith also warrant a significant punitive damages award in circumstances. So no figure put on what punitive damages CSB are looking for, but MediaPro are also looking for damages and they do lay out firmly in their 32-page statement of claim. MediaPro in that allege that CSB has not lived up to its promises, saying that halfway through the agreement, CSB has delivered just over a quarter of the number of required matches. And they specify that there is a guaranteed minimum of 2,042 CPL and Canadian Championship games that would be broadcast by One Soccer by 2028. Media Pro also say that the league had promised to expand to 10 teams by 2020 and 16 teams by 2024. Now, obviously, COVID played a big deal in 2020-2021 seasons and the after effects that we are really still feeling, not just in the game of soccer, but throughout the world. It's a much different climate that it was when this agreement was signed in 2019. But an agreement is an agreement, and how legally binding that will be, no matter what world events might have overtaken things. That's something we will come to shortly. Now, in what has to be viewed as damning remarks about the current state and the future outlook for the CPL in their statement, MediaPro's filing states... The league has remained stagnant at eight teams since 2020 and shows signs of decline rather than growth. MediaPro has delivered on its bargain. CSB has materially failed to do so and provides no reasonable prospect of doing so within the agreed-upon term. Well, we know for sure that there's only going to be eight teams in, in 2024, with a, a lot of interest of expanding the league, but obviously no firm announcements yet as to how many or when they will be. Now, surely, even without COVID, that was ambitious as hell. Yeah, it would be nice to be able to read what how that was uh, defined in the contract, right? Is it, a, is it a guarantee 
those are those are that's what we're working toward like you know what i mean like how how is it worded there uh and, and i don't know and i haven't asked about that one of the things there as well that they said is that media pro are saying that they felt that the cpl has remained stagnant showing signs of decline rather than growth now that that's damning and a good headline for newspapers websites whatever I would strongly argue, as many others that have actually watched the league, that this past season, the fifth season, was the, the strongest and best season of the CPL. If anything, it, it was showing that it was growing and getting better. But it, it's those kind of statements that stick in people's minds. Mm. And like the league, CSB in particular, already has so many detractors just waiting for an excuse to put the boot in. And it's these little comments that can get blown up and used against the league. Whereas anyone that watches the league knows it's been a good season for the league. Well, you you know, I'm not going to disagree with you. Oh, yes. It was the best year um, on, on, in many ways. Anyways, obviously they would say, they would point to the... Uh, whatever the language, the hiatus of FC Edmonton as a significant, a significant thing, which is kind of ironic because you saw, I mean, I didn't read them all. I didn't read the whole thread or whatever, but you saw, you might've seen the comments from Steven Sandor that talked yes. about how, how yes. local, local um, opportunities to uh, show matches were precluded by this agreement that he feels, I mean, partly, obviously he's, I, I appreciate Sander, but obviously he's biased because he probably would have been the broadcaster for those local, oh, yes, for those local things. But, um, but though he feels that those would have been better to help, um, FC Edmonton be more successful in their community, right? So, yeah, yeah, because you, you need eyeballs on these teams to grow it, totally. Yeah. And it, it's like there, there's so many people in the communities that probably don't know that they have a CPL team in their midst. Mm. And that's then what needs to change, and that's then what needs to grow. And how you get there is, I guess, how the next step of all of this is going to be. Media Pro wants damages of at least $50 million, along with court costs and a declaration that it was within its rights to terminate the deal. Media Pro says it has paid 25% of the rights fees owed for 2023 and says in its filing it wrote to CSB in March 2023 to, quote, convey its concerns with more requests for actions since. Media Pro said that despite repeated demands, CSB failed to provide a, quote, realistic and achievable plan on meeting its requirements. Adding, CSB's anticipated failure to deliver on its obligations under the Memorandum of Understanding has deprived and will deprive MediaPro of substantially the entire benefit of the agreement. CSB's conduct constitutes anticipatory repudiation of the contract, which entitles MediaPro to termination of the same. Continuing on with the contract, will compound the damages suffered by MediaPro. In its court filing, MediaPro said CSB accepted its offer of $87 million for the 10-year deal for CSB's global media rights, together 
with sports betting rights and digital platform rights for CSB assets. The deal called for MediaPro to produce and broadcast all of CSB's planned matches and establish a local production unit focused exclusively on Canadian soccer content. The agreement called for it to pay CSB an annual licensing fee ranging from $5 million in 2019, going up to $14 million in 2028. Remember, that is all according to MediaPro and their filing and what they're saying that the agreement was. CSB and MediaPro agreed to share sponsorship revenue with commercial inventory, 50-50 split, with CSB providing annual minimum guaranteed payments for the first three years of the deal, which MediaPro say was $1 million in 2019, $2 million in 2020, and $3 million in 2021. Now, that is the breakdown of basically what's come out on Thursday and Friday, and a lot of that is from the court filing. also want to give a big hat tip to Neil Davidson, who has done a couple of fantastic stories for... Canadian press around this so took a lot of the the stuff that Neil's put together in his articles as the basis of what we've just read out there. So a lot of burning questions around all of this. Now we can have a chat amongst ourselves or I mean the legal side of it we there's things in these filings we we don't fully understand so we thought let's get somebody on that understands the legal side of things so welcome Onto the show, Darnell Smith, a family law attorney from recoveryfamilylaw.ca, based out of Surrey, as you'll have heard from our ads earlier in the show, and a local soccer referee as well, but maybe don't hold that against him. Uh, welcome, Darnell. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on. So, I mean, first thing to ask you, like when, when all this started to come out on Thursday and Friday, with your lawyer's hat on, and obviously there's some things you can't speak to and you don't know all the ins and outs without maybe seeing all the filings and stuff for yourself, but, I mean, what what was your initial reaction to it all? Yeah, my initial reaction, plain and simple, was I'd love to see the filings so that I could actually have some insight into it. You know, the reporting on it's been helpful in understanding kind of what's happening, but it seems that both sides are pointing the finger at the other side, unsurprisingly, and, and we're you know, still in the dark about what that actually means in terms of the actual filings, much less what actually happened. And so I'm sure that will come out in due time. Yeah, I mean, the, the CSB filing is five pages, according to Neil Davidson's article, and Media Pros is 32. So that's a lot to wade through. Well, so when we look at filings like that, um, different practitioners will approach it quite differently. Uh, you, you may want to try and color your argument right off the start by including a lot of um, factual pleadings that you say are true, or you may go, look, I'm not really sure what's happening, and so you want to you know, be circumspect. And so those are probably indicating two different approaches. There's going to be thousands of pages of documents in this litigation, so 32 and 5 are you know, fairly insignificant uh, mm. to start with. Well, both sides are are blaming each other. In in the in the CSB filing, it's they say that MediaPro acted improperly, repudiated on their agreement, 
and repudiation was also mentioned by Media Pro as well. Now, for the laymen amongst us, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, sure. So repudiation effectively means that both sides are saying the other side did something uh, so contrary to the terms of the contract that the contract can't go forwards anymore and that the only thing to do is now break the contract. So for practical purposes, what it means is that this contract won't be happening anymore. Neither side is going to work with the other going forwards. They both agree that it's repudiated. Whose fault that is, is very much up to debate. But but they both agree that they aren't going to work together anymore. And, and now they have to figure out how to go forwards and, and who who's going to pay what because of that. So Darnell, in, in, in your, in your, in your experience, is there ever uh, a case where two parties, uh, you know, use that language to say, Hey, you're the other person has made this untenable going forward where a court will, is it always the court always going to choose a side or does it ever, does a court mm. ever come to a position where it says, you know what, you kind of both did things that caused this to, to end. Good question. Yeah, yeah. so um, almost certainly in a contract of this size, both sides haven't fully complied with it to the letter of the law, right? There's going to be little things that one side could argue doesn't comply because there will be ambiguity in the terms, right? Um, and the real question is, which is the you know the big problem who's the one that's actually causing things that aren't aren't appropriate you know if if one party paid their amount four hours after the deadline is that enough to repudiate the contract i mean maybe but probably not right and so without knowing the terms it's hard to tell but it's likely the court finds both sides are being in the wrong but they will the court will try because there's damages associated with the court will try and find out who and try to figure out who actually made the the um, fundamental breach that's caused the repudiation. Yeah, because just in what the stuff I've read and as I've listened to some stuff about this, it feels like it's a little bit of a circular thing where the the one side is saying, "Hey, you haven't expanded and got us enough matches quick enough," and the other side has said, "Part of the reason why we've struggled in that is you haven't got." our games the exposure across our nation the way you had kind of uh, kind of promised so it feels like a chicken and egg kind of mm. kind of argument a little bit in some at least in some ways does that, I, is that fair it's very much true right if i don't have the money coming in to be able to take my steps i can't take those steps and then i can't give you the money because the steps aren't being taken and the other thing that you know is a kind of worldwide phenomenon that we haven't talked about is there was this whole thing called COVID. i don't know if you heard yeah. about it that was going to be my other question. Yeah, I was gonna. I was wondering that as well. It's like, does that does that factor into it? Does that change the the business agreement, or would that have to have been drawn in the agreement to say if there's something unexpected globally happens? So I guess we don't know because we haven't seen the agreement. Um, mm. They could have, of course, said, "Look, if something unforeseen happens, this is how we're going to deal with it." And it seems unlikely that they specifically contracted about a world endemic happening that that changes everything, right? Like, I mean, they could have, they could have, they're open to do that. But, you know, I, I've never seen, I don't do this type of law, but I've never seen a contract that said, you know, and if the world falls apart because of a pandemic, here's how we'll deal with that. It just seems unlikely that that would be true. And so I, I honestly, I don't know how the court will deal with that. It, it, it's beyond my knowledge and other than it's very interesting, I can't add much to that. It, it, it's definitely going to impact things. You know, one of the things that's 
true in law is if an order is made and you cannot follow it. So let's say the court orders me to jump 10 feet in the air. I can't do it. Like, I just can't do it. Like my body will not allow me to do that. And so the court will say, well, if you can't do it, then you didn't have to follow this term because it's not possible to do it. Mm-hmm. And so that, that follows through into this. And there's a, there's a degree of how does this impact everything going forward? Were the parties actually able to do these terms? And if not, what does it mean? And, and what recourse should come about? And we just don't know yet. Yeah, that's interesting because that that goes to I, the one uh, you know the one way of looking at this is that the, the pandemic impacted things in two ways. One, yes, it, it it definitely hindered the ability to expand, and two, it also absolutely hindered the number of games that were played, even in, within I guess the one season and maybe the second. I can't remember the, if it was the full full season, the second one where they played partly in Winnipeg, but um, they. Uh, yeah, they, that one that one season they they literally could not play the number of games that that, that they normally like normally would have, right? Like, and so I and I, I remember also I don't know if you remember this, Michael. There were reports in and around the first or second year of the pandemic that CSB was having trouble getting getting um, amounts from MediaPro, I believe, because of the pandemic, right? Because of the number of games. Oh, played I don't actually remember that. I, I yeah I, I don't remember all the details but I remember there being a bit of a that was a bit of an issue that I, I I believe was a public thing too like it was out in articles or people had talked about it but um I, I might be wrong on that but that's my that's my recollection those were those were those were hazy times but um yeah it's it's just me it's for me it's gonna be interesting to see how how much the court weighs those kinds of things uh, like you're talking about darnell like if you couldn't actually do this does that mean you default you defaulted or you're an error or you or whatever the right word is um and, and or does that say or is it reasonable to say okay you couldn't because of these things therefore there should be an understanding that there are, there needs to be new new targets hit hit or something like that well and almost certainly Further negotiations happened between Media Pro and CSB at that time, right? Because they're both going at that time, they're both going, hey, look, this is lucrative for both of us. We both want that, or presumably, we both want this to go forward. But how the heck do we do this? How do we make this happen in a world that's, you know, just not the same anymore? We thought X was going to happen. Now, Y is going to happen. Is there a way where we can capitalize for both of us? It makes it better for both of us. And if so, great, let's do that. Um, you know, in a contract that's this big and this, you know, robust, there's going to be ongoing issues, right? And there's going to be terms of how they deal with it. I, I, you know, almost certainly there's terms about dispute resolution and how they're going to figure things out and who gets what presumptions and such. Um, again, we don't know what those are, but but necessarily nobody's going into a contract like this without going, we will disagree over the next, what was this, the contract? Was it eight years or 10 years? 10, ten, year, ten, ten years. years. Yeah. I mean, you're going to disagree about things over 10 years. It doesn't mean you're going to repudiate the contract and it's going to be burnt up, but it means how do we solve this and how do we move forward in a way that's, that's practical for both sides. Am I right in thinking that if CSB's filing says that media pro, it was improperly, repudiated and media pro their language that they used anticipatory repudiation mm, oh that's right so csb yes. are saying media pro have reneged now and media pro am i right in saying are then saying csb are likely to and that's why they're anticipating that they're going to 
Yeah, that language would suggest that. Um, CSB is saying, look, MediaPro has breached and it's fundamental and it's important in a way that that the contract can't go forwards. And MediaPro is saying an an anticipatory means that we think this will have to happen. And it may be clear that it will have to happen, right? You know, if there's only 10 teams Mm -hmm. in the league, and they're only going to play each other however many times. We can't get the necessary games in. Like it just, there isn't a way to get those games in. And you know that that could be very true. Um, that doesn't mean that that the contract wouldn't be repudiated at that time. It, 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 because it's so clear that going forwards it won't happen. That the party doesn't have to go. Well, I can just sit here and suffer until it actually doesn't happen. No, if I know it won't happen, I can deal with it in that way. Does one bear more weight with the court? Like, hey, you they actually you've actually broken, as opposed to hey, we're projecting you're obviously not going to meet this target or that target. I mean, no, probably not. Um, if it's if it's clear that an event, you know, the standard that we're working on is um, the balance of probabilities. And again, I'm assuming that the case law in BC is the same as Ontario, which I, I suspect it is, but. The, the standard of, of proof is balance of probabilities, meaning more likely than not. Um, if something in the future is being assessed, then it looks on the probability of that happening. If they could say that it's 100% guaranteed that CSB can't, then it's just as proven as if it's 50% plus one and is current. Um, if there's you know a 75% chance that this future event is going to happen, then maybe not, but it would depend on the terms of the contract. If, if you only need you know, balance of probabilities, and it, it's over the line, and it's over the line. So, so just another question about how court the courts weigh, weigh things. Um, in I believe it's 2020, Media Pro um, was found to, I believe, repudiate. I don't know if I'm using that word right, but repudiate their their contract with League in France. Uh, they had like a 3.2 billion dollar deal for the broadcast rights of of, of league and after four months they stopped paying it and it almost caused the collapse of french football um how much does that weigh in the court does it weigh at all on the on the, on the court as they're they're looking at all this yeah so um i doubt it weighs much technically on the court you know just because i've done something in the past doesn't mean i can't change and our loss our, our society is built on the belief that uh, you know, just because I was a criminal doesn't mean I won't change and won't be better and won't improve. And so my bad, past bad behavior, if it continues to to happen, the consequences might change for it. But it doesn't mean that the act happened again. Right. It isn't proof of my behavior. But if my behavior is then further proven, the consequences of that behavior goes, you know, I slapped you on the wrist once. It didn't change anything. Me slapping you on the wrist again probably won't change anything again. So I'm going to deal with it differently. However, um, judges, they're human. If the judge sees one side as being a bad actor because their history is a bad actor and, you know, they're consistently acting in inappropriate ways and, and you know, slighting contracts, it, it probably factors in, right? Like, that's just how humans think. And it's nice to believe that we, and I think judges, in fairness to them, do a wonderful job of trying to be very objective, but they're, they're still people and they're still making a decision from their viewpoint. They just they have to. They cannot fully separate that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I have two other kind of legal side questions before we kind of get your football hat on and take the lawyer's one off. So CSB are looking for punitive damages without stating an amount. 
Media Pro are asking for 50 million in damages plus court costs and a declaration that it was within its right to terminate the deal. So I guess that last thing, first of all, just means that they want it very clearly made that they were within the rights to do it for any fu- so it didn't affect any future contracts that might sign. But why would one be looking for punitive and one state in a huge amount like 50 million? I guess, honestly, again, I don't know. But what I would speculate at, and this is just speculation, is that MediaPro either has a pecuniary loss, meaning they have a specific amount of money they're losing because of this breach of contract, and that's what they're putting forward, and or they're using $50 million, as it sounds good in the um, in the media and, it, and, and you know, online and stuff, right? If I say the other side is $50 million to the bad, you go, holy cow, that's, oof, they must have been really bad, yeah. right? And so it, 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 it creates a narrative, and, and part of this fight is of public image, right? Mm-hmm. It is in the courts, but it's also public image. And we see that a lot in, you know, U.S. lawsuits where people sue people for $50 billion. You know, there's, there's just no way. Neither of them have that kind of money. It's not worth that. You know, uh, Rudy Giuliani just had a judgment come down for some absurd amount of money, and he doesn't have it. Like, nobody believes he has it. And so um, stating that in your statement of claim doesn't mean very much. When you make your statement of claim or you make your pleadings, those are kind of like a very broad menu. If it's not on there, I can never really ask for it in the future or it's very hard to ask for it in the future. Um, so I want to you know, cast a very broad net and I want to make it as big as I can so they don't artificially create a ceiling for me. With CBS not indicating an amount and asking for um, punitive damages, punitive damages are different than um, the pecuniary in that pecuniary damages, those are the ones that it's a specific amount of money, pecuniary meaning financial loss punitive damages are damages that are the court uses to change behavior so it's going to discourage few future businesses from acting the same way because they look at it and they go oh well i could be hit with this huge amount of punitive damages or or whatever uh, that would impact uh my decision to act reasonably or not does that answer the question or yeah, yeah. that's very helpful and but we'll just stress again as well uh we've got Darnell on because he's a friend of the show he's a soccer referee passionate about soccer he's a local lawyer as well so he's not an expert in this case or the interior system so we're just kind of picking his brains about some of the legal jargon in it and I don't know if you can answer this last question I've got or not but a case like this how quick is something like this going to get settled or is this this something that can drag on for months and months so how quickly could they get to a to a judge making a final order? Not quickly. Mm. Like that just is unrealistic that that would happen quickly. But both parties may have an incentive to settle this where they don't look right. bad. Right? right. And and you know, just like in divorces and things, there's there's a real sometimes you, you'll have a client who go, look, going to trial makes sense. It's in your financial interest. But they go, well, yeah, but a trial means this is very public and I don't I don't want to do that. And so that factors into their decision on how to settle, right? They don't want their mm-hmm. personal life screwed everywhere. That's mm-hmm. my area of expertise. I'm going to guess, especially CSB, who's going yeah. through a public image crisis, uh, may go, look, uh, I mean, maybe not because they may go, our books are going to be looked into. We're, we're in a position where other people are going to be looking at this and we have to make the right decision. We can't just do what's 
looks good. Um, so, you know, that's going to impact them. I, I don't know which way it'll impact them, but it's going to impact them. And the same thing's yeah. true for Media Pro. Because they've been very protective of their finances and everything around that. Uh, I guess everything would then be open for public viewing. Which is understandable. No. So, so disclosure in a in litigate. So the pleadings in litigation uh, in BC can be obtained uh, either through media outlets or lawyers can obtain them. I assume the true, same is true for Ontario or something similar akin to it. But the disclosure that you get, again, looking at BC laws. Um, in a litigation is only for the purpose of that litigation. So I can't get disclosure from the other side and go and like, you know, put it online. I mean, if I could get it another way, you know, let's say I'm asking for the other side's Facebook profile or something, right? Because I say that it's relevant to whatever. Uh, and and somebody else gives it to me outside of litigation, then I could still use that outside of litigation. But if I get it through the litigation, there are limits on what I can do with it. Um, once it gets to court right. and that becomes public evidence, unless there's an order otherwise, it's public. The courts are meant to be public so that the public can be involved. It's meant to be a system where, you know, the whole idea of a jury of your peers, your peers are involved and they're looking at it and they're making sure that there's a, a check and balance by the public on what judges are doing. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's public once it gets to there, which is why companies want to settle early right, so that it yeah. doesn't become public record and, and available yeah because you can imagine this like if this goes to trial and it's like it's open to the public this is just going to be splashed all over the football yeah, community I would, I would expect private arbitration so a private court arbitration um it, does arbitration mean every, like that word means a lot to me it may not to anyone else does do we know what arbitration is or, or well, no you, not really you you sit down and you try and thrash out a deal no, so that's no. usually mediation. Uh, mediation is where you work with a third party in a private setting and you try and get a deal. Arbitration is there's effectively a private judge. I hire somebody to be a judge and we argue the issue and that judge, who isn't actually a judge, I mean, they could be, but they usually aren't, will tell us what's going to happen. So mediation, oh. we have control, we have to accept it. Arbitration, somebody else is deciding the issue for us. The nice thing about arbitration is you can pick who the arbitrator is, you can pick the format, you can pick how evidence goes in, and it can be efficient, and again, it's private. And private in these sorts of things is usually, or seems to be very valuable. It's not my area, but it seems to be that people like to keep those things to themselves. But with, with the, the way that this has gone, like if uh, uh, CSB, uh, CPL owners have brought this to a court in Ontario, is arbitration still a possibility? I would assume so. Okay. So um, the, the the Supreme Court civil rules, which would be the equivalent to Ontario, have a notice to regulate mediations where they can force mediation. I'm not aware that you can force arbitration. But again, the court systems have a lot of required processes. And in a litigation of this size, that could be very expensive. And so arbitration may be actually cost-effective, and it prevents things from being publicly explained. That doesn't mean that that the parties don't want things. You know, they may have either party in this case may have filed their pleadings very much so that it would get to the public. Right. When they're filing that, it's not neutral to them that, you know, realistically, reporters are going to see this, are going to report on this and it's going to be out in the public. So they're they're probably having PR people who are considering that in light. Right. You're working legally and 
public relations wise because it would make sense to for these kind of corporations yeah the, the uh, one question, and I, I assume this to be the case. That's how I re- re- read the reports and whatever. With CSB taking back these rights, um, the fact that this could take months or years or whatever, um, it, it, they can, but they can, they can move forward with those rights with you know TSN, Sportsnet, whoever else. And, and does, that, does that cause a problem, or is that limiting them? Or I mean, I mean, it could cause a problem. But I would assume so because both sides say that the contract's repudiated, right? Nobody's saying this contract is going forwards. So I would assume, and, and again, it, there could be terms in the contract that say otherwise, but I would assume that CSB can go sell their future, you know, games and other things to whoever they want to 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 promote them. We'll take the legal hat off Darnell now and just have him chatting as a as a soccer fan. You look at what's next, and it's I I I genuinely can't see TSN or Sportsnet being interested in this. But the the problem that CSB have now is like they've maybe got a limited market, and it's like does this make the value of these rights for the league a lot lower now? And yet you have to think it does. Yeah, I I mean from a business perspective. You know, it's it seemed to me that the CSB wanted to grow. And that's been difficult because of all the, you know, again, the pandemic's been this huge hurdle. And so it, it's pretty hard to, to sell yourself as we're going to get bigger and better when we now have a track record of we haven't. And, that I, I, you know, that may not be their fault, but that doesn't change the reality. And you're, the CSB isn't marketing themselves as we want to be a 10 tier team that you know gets out the amount of fans we currently gets out and has these as our media they, they go we want to be the next mls in canada we want to start small and grow into this big real league that's very profitable and franchises are selling for you know hundreds of millions of dollars that's the goal nobody mm-hmm. is trying to stay where they are but the other reality is is how many leagues you know, in North America, in various different sports have popped up and folded. You know, you look yeah. at the the American football, like the XFL and the, all these other leagues that seem to pop up and down, you know, annually. It's hard. It's hard to get there and, and to grow sustainably and in a practical way. And it's my understanding that the owners of the CPL teams are actually losing money. And, yeah. you know, nobody really i don't know about you guys but i like to make not lose money that's my preference well, i mean that's the thing because when it started it was always like you need 10 years five to ten years before the legal start to make money and we're we're through the five just now there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences as well but in the early 2000s in england there's a company called itv digital and they oh, bought yeah. the rights for the football league yeah. And then they couldn't fulfill that. And then Sky swooped in and picked everything up really cheap because by that point, the league were like, we need a broadcasting deal. We've got to get something. And then Sky are seen as like the saviors of it. And you do kind of wonder how that will happen. You've also got to think as well, like the rights for, I mean, you're talking about rights for three things, the CPL, the Canadian Championship and the national team. You've got to feel that the three of them is going to get split up now and they're not all going to be packaged together, which I think is better for the game in general. I, I really don't know. You know, I mean, I guess it depends who's the buyer. 
right? If okay. Sky comes in and says, hey, look, we did this in, in, in England, we'd like to do it here, maybe all three of them get bought up. Uh, it, it really depends on who's interested and, and what they're coming in with. Um, I don't and how the, like, how the national team does, right? Yeah, well, yeah, but, there's that as well, because just now it's hot. And years ago, when it wasn't hot, they couldn't sell those rights to save themselves, and they had to pay to get on TV. But now it's hot, and you've got a World Cup coming. And you have to feel, at least for the national team, TSN will certainly want that, because they have all the tournaments. They've got Copa this summer. Mm-hmm. Canada's trying to qualify for it. The the They've got the World Cup. They've got the Euros. So they like these big tournaments. They like the national team. So you've got to think TSN will be interested in that. Sportsnet used to have the Canadian Championship. You've then got the the whole thing that once soccer's got deals with CONCACAF for showing like the, the Champions Cup and the, the Gold Cup and things like that. So once soccer still has deals... So one soccer could still exist because they're showing Chinese football. They're showing they show the Dutch. Belgian league. Dutch is it? Yeah, I get Dutch, mixed. Mm-hmm. I confuse myself. Who the I think hell they have, they have all of all all Jonathan David's uh, little matches are on their like league matches. I mean, we'll wrap this up. We've been talking for quite a bit. So I mean, I, I've heard very strong murmurs that Telus as a sponsor to the CPL are interested in a streaming package for the CPL. Now, TELUS here and in Alberta have channels where you can stream games on. League One BC had games on, on TELUS's channels. Uh, U-Sports have games on TELUS's channels. Now, the problem, of course, is TELUS is not Canada-wide. So they could maybe expand. They could maybe have an online streaming service akin to DAZN or or something that you sign things up to. I also wouldn't dismiss YouTube because USL are successful on YouTube. I watch A-League games in Australia and New Zealand on YouTube. And in Canada, they don't have a broadcasting deal. So YouTube gets your fans across the world. TSS Rovers games on YouTube back in the old days, it's like we'd have folk tuning in from all over. Admittedly, some of them, I think, were dodgy betting folk that were trying to... (laughs) trying to get a, an in as to what the hell was happening. Weird people messaging from Eastern Europe going, who do you think is going to win this game and stuff? It's like, um... But that, that's a whole other thing. But, I mean, there are other options out there. Linear TV is not everything the be-all and end-all. I like games on cable because I like to PVR it and I can fast-forward through it or whatever. And things like Fubo and DAZN, for me, don't quite have the interface that, that lets me do that. But, like, Darnell, what, what would your choice be? What would your preference be as a, as a soccer lover? Where would you like to see CPL games now? I guess, realistically, as a soccer lover, what my interests are is that it's a sustainable thing for the league, right? Really, I care less about where it is than that it's a functionally good relationship so that the league doesn't end up going belly up or or shrinking and then it grows like that's what's most important and do i have any knowledge about what's appropriate for that no not really i mean you've you've talked about in the past how a streaming service that is a relatively small and um isolated streaming service is difficult to get by in. only your people who are already invested are yeah. going to go there where it's something like youtube where everyone and their dog has it on their cell phone has a certain attractiveness. Now, 
YouTube's going to be able to to, to bargain with that in mind, right? Uh, they're going to say, hey, look, I know that X company was going to pay you whatever for it. We're going to pay you, you know, 80 cents on the dollar because everyone can access this and you're getting a, like a way bigger market, like just a way bigger market. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't know. And it comes down to making a good business decision. And I am in no place to really comment on that. No, but I mean, the, the filings have all spoken about how the league had to grow and get more eyeballs on it, which is baffling then that they put it behind a paywall to begin with, because it's like we're passionate football fans, but you're paying for one soccer. You're paying for, well, if you've got football, you get one soccer, but if you don't have football, there's one soccer, there's the zone, there's being sports. There's so many ways and so much expense that to put it behind a paywall is like crazy. It's like what League One did in their year one with home team. You've got a very niche market that's going to sign up for that. And all that ends up doing is people don't watch the league. Mm. And then people don't know about the league. And so much content. Yes. Like you can't even begin to watch all the content. And so you go, why would I go pay for this paywall site? Yeah. I, I know, it's like, I, I don't even try and get into things like the Dutch leagues, the French leagues, the Belgian leagues. It's like, I'm, I'm watching enough stuff here. I hardly see my wife as it is. I, I've spent this weekend watching FA Cup games since Thursday. And it's like, there's only a limited amount of things. But I think what we can all agree on is this is a big fork in the road here for Canadian soccer. It's like, Whatever direction they take now, it's going to dictate how successful does the CPL exist. I mean, without knowing all the ins and outs, I'll just go to both of you. What What's your gut feeling? Do we have a CPL by 2027? And I pick that date specifically because Canada soccer is going to ensure that that league survives for the World Cup because that is part of the agreement of having the World Cup, that we've got a domestic league. But come 2027... Do you see the CPL being viable? Specifically in 2027, is there still a CPL? Yeah, I think definitely because the owners are going to be looking for that bump from the World Cup and they won't have known whether that bump has happened not or not. Do we have it in 2029? I think that's a way harder decision. Yeah. I think that realistically it depends on are good decisions made and do they effectively capitalize on the World Cup and make it beneficial to the league and if they do yes and if they don't no i mean it's it's insanely expensive to run a league in canada you look at you know any league in europe would fit inside bc as a province Mm -hmm. you know traveling from victoria to vancouver fc is as big as pretty much anywhere in most leagues like that's a major travel yeah, and, and, and like in bust. League One here, we've got like Highlanders going into the interior to play games. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it's just the, the 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 scope of spread in Canada is so great it makes it hard. It's why things like the CFL have a ridiculously hard time because it's bloody expensive, and that's a league. Yeah, it's been around a while. Yeah. And it's had folk killing it off before saying, oh, it's going to die, and it still keeps going. And it's underappreciated like the CPL is as well, I think. And folk folk are just so clouded by the American leagues and in football terms, the European leagues. 
and they just don't give Canadian things a chance. But Zach, taking your heart out of it. Yeah, no, I, I, I also agree that I, I think it'll be around. I think for some, like the reasons you said, like, yeah, the the World Cup. I think Darnell asked a good question is how much, you know, after that, will mm-hmm. will the bump from the World Cup be big enough to uh, kick things on? Because, yeah. Cause we, we all expect a huge bump, but we're just all speculating. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, my, my, my hard perspective on that, Michael, is, is like, yeah, why, why would I not want to help? Hope that continue and, oh, yeah. grow and be positive, but no, I, 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 th- I think it will. Will it look the same uh, as now? Well, one, hopefully not, because hopefully it's grown. But um, yeah, it'll be this. This this will be an interesting season. I thought you were going to ask us if we thought if are, are they going to get broadcast somewhere for you know April thirteenth for the for, for oh the first the, 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 those games will be shown. They'll right. they'll, they'll be somewhere. Like yeah. whether it's TELUS, whether it's YouTube, whether they strike a, a deal. I mean, like the Zones lost tons of its football. Could they yeah. be interested? Be in sports. They show the CPL, but albeit like really old games. So I mean, you've you've there are options. It's just they probably will not get what they were looking for. And it's interesting as well because initially everyone was kind of speculating it was going it was two hundred million that this deal was. And well, now it appears no, no. that it's eighty nine. No, 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 no. The two hundred million over the ten years, Michael. The thing that we learned through this is, I believe the number is eighty seven. Is that the payments over the ten years were to equal eighty seven million? Mm-hmm. But always from the very we talked about this on the show. Always that two hundred million was not cash. It was included in infrastructure, well, production and, costs, and things. And, produ- well. and the production costs. Because actually, that is the last thing just to mention as well. Yeah. Th- this is not just a case of who's broadcasting the games. Yeah. The production is huge. Media Pro produce everything. And yeah. I've seen it firsthand when they came and did the TSS game against Valor. That was a very impressive setup. A couple of massive trucks I got to see inside them. And it's like, it's a top, top notch production that they put on. So now they have to find someone to do that as well. Although AFTN's YouTube channel is open to, to doing that. I've, I've got my point and click camera that I do the VMSL games at. I've got history. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, let's wrap it up now. It's late. Uh, Darnell, thank you so much for joining us. Let everyone know where they can find you online if they want to talk football to you or if they want to find business things to chat to you about. I honestly don't even know what my <laughs> handles are online, but... <laughs> you keep for, tweeting uh, me. I should find it here. <laughs> okay. For... for um... If, if you need any support in, in the family law setting, I'd be happy to work with anyone. Um, it's recoveryfamilylaw.ca. And uh, yeah, we, we specialize in separation and divorce, unfortunately. Dar- Darnell, I just want to apologize if uh, in your work as a, a referee in the local community, if Michael has ever uh, verbally <laughs> abused you in any way, shape or form, just on behalf of the AFT and family, we apologize. I, I may have. You, you may have said I, I think I've earned it at least once. I had a provincial cup final where I, I probably deserved it. But anyways, we can move on. Um, and your Twitter handle is Law of Darnell. <laughs> there you go. Law of Darnell. So thank you for joining us. Hope you have all enjoyed that chat. And yeah, we'll just have to see where all of this goes. So that is it for the football chat. That is it for the show. Another bumper episode and how could it not be after the week it's been 
in Canadian soccer and just soccer all over the world. There's been so much to talk about and we've still got one, maybe two extra podcasts that we're going to bring you this week. It's not it for the show though because we have to finish with this episode's wavelength and we're going back to 1998 for this show's tune. A German band, continuing the theme of thought since we played a song about St. Pauli in last week's show. We're going to keep it going. This is a song about Fortuna Dusseldorf, a German punk band called Public Toys, and this is O Fortuna. German punk band Public Toys there from 1998 with their tribute to Fortuna Dusseldorf. Oh, Fortuna Rotweiss. They uh, they hosted St. Pauli this weekend. Oh, we, we won't a... get into Bundesliga chat. We're already at three hours. Oh, no, this is a sec- second Bundesliga. Oh, well, still Bundesliga. <laughs> second Bundesliga, Michael. Still Bundesliga. It was a 2-1 t- win for St. Pauli. Okay. Yeah. Yay. The two the two teams from the last two weeks wavelength bizarrely playing each other. Well, yeah. what do you know? You oh, you would call that a wavelength dar- derby, I believe. Oh, it is. <laughs> I, I will be calling it that now. Yeah. That is it for this 
lengthy episode of the AFT and Soccer Show. I hope you have really enjoyed it. Just before we go, Zach, any final thoughts from you? Where can folk find you online? You can find me on X at Zachary AM and other places as well. But um, I have a question for you as as my my part. What is something that you and our good friend Eric Hasley have in common? With no hair? So- we, we, we share a, a card no, that is in it, your stop house. It. <laughs> stop. Waiting to be signed. No, come on, seriously. Well, that's what we have in common. It's my no. card of Eric Hasley. The most important thing that you have in common. I like to wear two jerseys. No. <laughs> the most important thing we have in common. I, I want to give you and Eric uh, congratulations on your San Francisco 49ers uh, making oh. the Super Bowl. Did you watch that tonight? No, no I oh. didn't watch it. I only know because Eric posted it. <laughs> So I want. I want they to were say, down twenty four seven at half yeah, time and came back and won it. It yeah. was the comeback of the ages. It was amazing. Now you're going up against the Swifty. The Swifties, Swifty Nation. Ah, what are they called? I don't know. Oh, I think I think they just play Taylor Swift in the in the Super yeah. Bowl. Yeah, the Super. <laughs> Anyways, so shout out to you and to Eric for 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 that. I also want to commiserate with. Uh, I don't know if you do you know Mike G, Mike Gom. I remember you met him before. Anyways. I want to Mike. Mike is a long time, like long time, uh, Detroit Lions fan. Uh, although it was obviously a really great run for them, uh, I think he's a little sad. So I want to, I want to give Mike a shout out as, as well too. There was yeah. a very bizarre decision in the fourth quarter. I heard about. I heard San Francisco I Mike... had taken the lead by three points, and the Lions, instead of kicking a field goal, went for it on fourth down and got stopped, and then lost the match. Yeah. Odd. So you have Super Bowl plans then? Well, before, like in the build-up to this, Har had been at me constantly. You should go to Las Vegas for the the Super Bowl. I was like, ah, oh, that'd be fun. She sent me a link tonight, going the cheapest tickets over eight thousand dollars. I was like, don't think I'll be going since I've got a big no. trip back to Scotland coming up. So no, but I, I'm looking forward to that next week. The last time that they met. I was over in Scotland and I watched it to 5 a.m. in UK time. So it'll be nice to watch it at a decent time. But yeah, we'll be back with another show soon. We're also going to be back with one, maybe two extra podcasts where we'll touch on all the big international stuff that has happened this week. Canada, CONCACAF, AFCON, Asian Cup, so much to talk about. So watch out for that dropping. If you're not a subscriber, $3 a month. $30 a year. Check out AFTN.ca to find out how. Give us a follow on YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada and on Twitter, stroke X, AFTN Canada. We will be back with another episode soon. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one. Until next time, thanks for listening. Take care and mon the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.